You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. The following program is rated TV MALSV. It contains strong language, sexual situations, violence, and nudity. It is intended only for mature audiences. It's been a while, and you probably missed us. Well, guess what? We missed you, too. And we didn't want to let spooky season slip away without at least one Halloween episode. Hey, you remember back in the day when awesome directors would team up to give us great anthology films? Well, that's what we're going to talk about right now. So grab some cake and strap in, because we're going to show you something really scary. Just make sure you follow the rules and watch out for meteor shit. Oh yeah, and Charlie Brown is an asshole. Hey there, how's it going? I, it's, it's been a while. It's been almost two months. Almost, almost two months. But we've been busy. Um, if you don't remember who we are, I am Mikey. And I think I'm still Corey. You are. You're still playing the role of Corey. And we are here with... The Retro Renegades Pop Culture Power Hour. Halloween edition. Our one and only <laughs> Halloween. Last year we did a whole month of Halloween episodes. We did. Plus we did the bonus episode with the uh, Great Pumpkin. Yeah. Last year. Um, this year, things got out of control. Scheduling. We busy, busy, busy. We had, what, two well, films we worked on? Yeah, we... we uh, I think you had two films. Did I? I think so. I know I had one for sure. Um, I did have two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, well, we'll just get into that. So I had, we had two, two movies that, uh, that we worked on. I, you worked on the one with me, um, which is called the mystery of the manor. It will be released, uh, hopefully spring of 2023. Yeah. They're talking about like um, March or April. Yeah. Because they still have a little bit left to film, but the bulk of the movie is done. Uh, we did the makeup and special effects along with uh, another great uh, great makeup artist and great uh, special effects company. Worked in conjunction with, with them. Um, that was fun. That was a blast. We, we had a great time with it. Um, it. The cool thing about this film, not only is it a great script, a great story, but it is celebrating kind of a, a landmark in the Omaha community. Of the Mystery Manor, which is a haunted attraction, it's been around for forty years, and it's telling the story of kind of how it came to be. And it's not a haunted house; it's a haunted theater. Haunted theater. It's a haunted theater. This is an amazing uh, attraction, and I mean, basically, it's a Halloween tradition. And it's been around for forty years. Forty years. Forty years. Yeah. Um. It's just an interesting story of how it came to be, and the the man that owns it, kind of a uh, a legendary figure here in Omaha, and uh, it's telling his story and preserving his legacy, um, you know, for for years to come. And I, I'm really, I think I think this was a great idea, and it's the everything we've done and everything I've seen at least is 
just awesome. Yeah, the story's great. I've, I've read the whole script. Um, I've heard the script performed in a read-through. Uh, awesome. And really, really proud to be a part of it because I think it's going to be... It's going to be something huge locally here. Yeah. Because of all the history and Omaha history. Uh, everybody that's into Halloween or or going to haunted houses or anything like that, they've been through this place. So they're going to see, you know, they have a three-story slide. Yeah. Uh, and it's, a, it's basically a pipe. That that's all it is. Straight down three stories. And it twists. And every time you go down it, what happens? You hit your head. You hit your head, you skin your... If you're wearing shorts, you skin your knees. You always skin your elbows. You always come out of there with a bump, a bruise, a scrape. And that's part of... That's part of the... That's part of the experience. Yeah. Um, if you come if you come out unscathed, go through again. Yeah, you didn't You didn't do the slide. You skipped it. But yeah, three a three-story slide. You don't find that anywhere. No. Um, it, this place is just... It's amazing. There's I've not seen a lot of places like it. I, and, you know, it's just cool. And so a lot of people will see this movie and say, oh, I've been there. Oh, I remember that part. Oh, I know that person. Because I think they hit every spot of the, uh, the house. They, I believe they did. They got every room. And some uh, some of the veteran actors from this place are actually reprising their haunt the character are, yeah. in the movie. So that was kind of cool. So people are going to know certain figures that are in this movie. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to talk about the legend of the house, too. The legend of the house, the, the story behind the house, the history of the house, the history of why it became the haunted theater that it is, and just, a, it's a great story. So people that don't live in Omaha or have no clue what Mystery Manor is can still enjoy this movie. Yeah. So I, I don't know the details. I guarantee you, when we do know the details... We'll tell you. Oh, we're going to push the hell out of it. Because we would love to have you guys see this uh, this film. And uh, I'm actually in the movie for a short period of time. I am not. You're, but you did some amazing I, makeup. And some amazing painting. And mask work. And blood work. And we did a lot of fun stuff. We had, some, we had a cool kill scene. We had a couple cool kill scenes. Um, so, yeah. So, we were doing that. Uh, I, also, I worked on Babezilla, too. Yeah, you very did. shortly. Very, yeah. I did just a few scenes. Uh, that's and that's already out. And that's already out. Uh, Babezilla versus a zombie horde. That's uh, W H O R D E horde. Horde. Um, if you uh, if you like uh, trauma style movies, kind of cheesy, schlocky, campy movies, you'll enjoy this. It's basically a story of uh, an exotic dancer who has a I guess a power that she can turn into Babezilla, a lizard-like um, character that defeats uh, zombies that are also uh, strippers or whores. Yeah, street-walking uh, prostitutes. Yeah. Um, then that uh, features our friend, uh, adult film actress Stephanie Love. Yep. Um, so we got to. Work she's with like her. the nicest person. Oh, she's the, amazing. Yeah, she's awesome. She's so nice. So yeah, we. Uh, that, that was fun to work on. I, like I said, I only did a little bit of work with that. Um, but, uh, yeah. Other than that, Halloween hit hard. The Halloween season has just been tearing me up. Yeah. Um, I'm clowning around at our local haunted attraction, Scary Acres. Um, we've been doing record-setting nights. We have been... Oh, nice. Well, it's because it's been so damn nice out, too. It, yeah, it's been so nice. It's like 80, It's like 88 degrees today, I think. 
See, two years ago, I, I've been at this place for five or six years now on a regular basis. I worked there a few years ago, uh, just a few nights, but uh, you know, pretty steady with my character Tweaky the Clown, uh, five or six years. And two years ago, what during a pandemic? Yeah. Two years ago, they had to to uh, make a second parking lot because the main parking lot got too full. So it you know it was I guess the year before they're like okay we need a second parking lot. So 2020 they made it a second parking lot. We we were using it. Yep. Last year they expanded to a third parking lot. This year, we have been filling four fucking parking lots. Oh my god! On the weekend, you know what? I don't know how they're going to keep doing that because they're well, there's neighborhoods going up right there. They're building all around it. Um, I don't know how they're doing it, but they're they're doing it. And but four parking lots, and on these weekend nights, they're they're call you know they get on the radio and they say, fourth parking lot's almost full. We have people that are waiting in line for hours to get into our attractions. And they just block the entire street. They block the street. They block when when they get on the property, they are there's lines just wrapping and wrapping and wrapping and people are waiting hours. Uh-huh. And we have three different attractions. We have the the house on the hill, we have the the uh, master's castle, and we have the woods where I run around and act like a jackass. And people will wait for hours. To get into each one of those. Yeah. And, I mean, I guess we, we've been voted number one in Omaha for the last five years. And we've got, what, how many haunted houses? Six? Six, at least. Um, six professional haunted houses. Yeah. Um, so, it's, it's you know, fun to be in, the, in that environment. But, unfortunately, it's kept us from you. Doing this. Yeah. Um didn't you, did you get sick? Have you gotten sick in the last two months? I don't know. For some reason, I thought that you did. Maybe. I know I did. I know I had a cold where I was sick or the kid was sick or something. Yeah, there was She something. was probably sick and then I got sick. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Everybody in the house, because we were going to record one and time. Then, yeah, and the house, it was like yeah. a house of death. Yeah, and it just, you said, don't come over here. And nobody, then, nobody had COVID. Yeah, well, yeah, luckily, not, you know, not, none of us have had COVID. So. And it was just like a nasty sinus cold. See, I got. We look like we all look like, like we had slime in our nose, and we just blew, and it was like, <laughs> like a nasty confetti, <laughs> ectoplasmic, ectoplasmic blue. booger. Yeah. Now, I got, uh, you know, I got like that's the sinus thing, and it's I always get that. But about two weeks ago, I got really sick, and we thought it might have been my gallbladder, because I, I had get what they call it. Gastrointestinal distress. This when you had the gas station sushi again? No, I did not have gas station sushi. Um, <laughs> I have not had gas station sushi for a little while. <laughs> that, at least a week or two. <laughs> that was that, that was just a talk because because the, everybody remembers uh, last year when I got really sick, and that was because of gas station sushi. And after everybody started mentioning it, it started popping up my Facebook memories. So it must be the season that I eat stupid shit and get really sick because we figured out what it was. So apparently I've reached an age where, you know, this podcast is kind of about getting old. Yeah. Um, it's, it was more about remembering how things were, but we talked about getting old. Uh, apparently I've reached the age <laughs> where, um, 
Now, now, pork has all, always kind of affected me, you know, in my stomach. I love pork chops. I love pork loin. I love all things pork. But I always don't really get sick. It's just it affects me a little bit, you know, in my uh, in my stool. So there, you can't have swine, is what you're saying? Oh, but I do eat swine. I love swine, you know. I. Uh, but it always just kind of it does it, 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 it's just that little twinge of don't really you know don't really get sick but it just kind of makes me a little more regular yeah so we're not even five minutes in and we're already talking about shit we're talking about poop um so what had happened is I got some pork from my local grocer. And it's a small grocery store. They have their own meat counter. They cut their own meat. And they might only put, like, three packages of steaks out for whatever, you know, like the four days that they can sell it, you know? Yeah. They might only put three packages of steaks out because they may not sell them. But when that thing is, like, within a day or two of expiring, they'll slap a sticker on it that's a dollar off, $2 off, $3 off, whatever, to get rid of it so they don't have to throw it away. Yeah. Which is smart. Well, whenever that happens, I visit this grocery store almost daily when I'm at home and cooking and whatnot. So I'll shop that kind of sale where, the hey, this thing has a $2 off sticker on it. I'm going to cook it tonight. It's going to be just fine. It's not yeah. expired. Well, they had a bunch of pork chops. And I saw that, or pork steak or something. I saw that. And I'm like, oh, I got an idea. And I wanted to make pork chops and dressing. So I grabbed like three packages of these pork chops at a very discounted price. I think they were $3 a package off. I, I grabbed some stovetop stuffing, which I love. Actually sounds good. I grabbed some pork gravy, a, a jar of pork gravy. And then as I walked past the vegetable, canned vegetables, I saw something that sparked my interest. I thought, hey, I like to make concoctions of things. Just grab a handful of ingredients and let's see how it turns out. I grabbed a can of Bavarian style sauerkraut. <laughs> Dude, you're just and building. So you're, you're building. <laughs> you're know. building a. It's like a witch's brew to make yourself shit. And yes, that's exactly what I did. So, and not intentionally. I just thought it sounded good. So I grabbed this big can of Frank's Bavarian style sauerkraut, which is a sweet sauerkraut. And I thought I'm going to mix all this together, and it's going to be amazing. It's going to be like this great Bavarian dish. And I've got a bag of potatoes at home. I'll dice some potatoes up and put in there. And I, I don't know if potatoes make you shit, but apparently if you mix it with all this other stuff, it does. I'm blaming the potatoes here. I'm blaming the sauerkraut, yeah, so the, the pork gravy, and the, the expired pork. pork chops. They weren't quite expired yet. <laughs> were they so, green? No, no, no. They were good. They were very good pork chops. <laughs> I get them all the time there. So I diced I cooked the pork chops. I diced them up. I put... The pork chops, the already cooked pork. I put the sauerkraut, which I also had a can of regular sauerkraut at home for my chili dogs. Um, I put so I put the big can of Bavarian sweet sauerkraut. Oh my god! Along with the regular sauerkraut. Yeah. Cubed up some potatoes, put them in there. So we've got the pork, the sauerkraut, two different styles, the potatoes, and then I I might have put I think I put some corn in there. I and. I think I put some corn in there, and then I dumped this gravy in there, and I put it on the crock pot, let it cook overnight. What the fuck? <laughs>
Okay, sorry about that, folks. We had a little uh, issue. Technical with issue, yeah. My, yeah. my kid is in his room playing video games, and something scared him. Yeah, so we, uh, yeah. Um, anyway, so I let that cook overnight. And then I ate it the next day. And the day after that, I <laughs> I got the shits. <laughs> now, oh my God. the problem was, I thought, eh, it's just my body getting used to it. So I ate it again the next night. So I, I, <laughs> that's what I do is I cook a big meal, you know, like a crockpot full of shit, and I eat it for two or three days. Um, so you literally, you eat a crockpot full of shit. Yes. Um, so yeah, the uh, the next day I ate some more, and I of course continued to have the shits. Now, at that point, I put two and two together and decided I can't eat this anymore. I need to. Th- I had I had one day's worth left. I'm like, I just got to throw it away. So, I had the shits for three days. So, when, remember when you told me about this? You thought I was joking. Yeah, I thought you were joking. Because I said, um, I said that my dad all, had also had diarrhea. And I said, hey, uh, we found out that uh, diarrhea is hereditary. It's, uh, it, it runs in your genes. And you laughed because I meant like genes, like pants. <laughs> and you thought it was funny. I was serious. I, I had the shits. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I put it... Uh, to Facebook and everybody said, you know that that's like a cleansing thing and, you know, you got to let your body get used to it. My body wasn't getting used to it. I think I'm at the age where I really need to be careful of what I eat. Um, but the good thing is, three days worth of diarrhea, only shit my pants twice. And it was just a little shart. Just little shards? Yeah, it was just a little poop. It's like, oh, yeah, got it. I mean, oh, dude. You know, I, I, I wasn't, I knew I couldn't trust a fart, but sometimes it just crept up and it was like, it's like, whoa, hey. And I'd take myself to the bathroom and be like, oh, man. That, that is so funny. Um, I'm better now. Um, Good. Yeah, I can, I'm back to trusting farts. Um, doing all right. But those, you know, first couple of days, I thought, man, this is bad. And, you know, I, am, I was cramped. My stomach's cramping up. And my mom, of course, said, this might be a gallbladder issue because uh, this is what it sounds like. Yeah. No, it was just that I ate stupid shit. And, it uh, makes a lot of weird stuff together on top of sauerkraut and, and yeah, expired and pork chops. They were not expired, uh, and I still blame the potatoes. <laughs> potatoes don't make you shit. <laughs> well, these potatoes did, apparently. I think that maybe it was uh, it's a chemical in the potato that reacts adversely with two different kinds of sauerkraut. Uh, you know what? That checks out. Yeah. So... Um, but I was also the type when I was drinking, I would, uh, I would, you know, drink a case of beer and eat a ham sandwich. And when I got sick and had a headache, I would blame the ham sandwich. Mm, ham sandwich. Yeah, ham, oh, mm. ham sandwich. Is I'm, I'm going to make me a bologna sandwich now. Right now? No. Oh. I'll wait till the break. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, in the last two months, anything else of note gone on? I mean, um, I know we haven't done this. We're kind of out of, uh, out of practice here. Yeah, I mean, went to... What did we do Friday? We had wrestling. We yeah. had wrestling twice. Yeah, and uh, actually, we got a little, uh, I guess, warm-up last Friday. Yeah, because we did commentary together. Yeah, uh, my regular uh, commentary partner uh, could not make it because uh, of some uh, storyline legal issues. Yes. Uh, you know, he, he had something else going on, and so we had to write him out of the story. Now, this is a peek behind the curtain. So, uh, yeah, one of the uh, wrestlers uh, uh, sued him. Yeah. And, and so he was not allowed in the building. So I, so had, I had to cover it. and we, I thought we did a damn good job. Yeah, we did pretty good. I, I got to listen to it, and uh, I thought we did a fantastic job. 
Um, Even Charlotte chimed in. Yeah, she got to got to do a little uh, arguing with me on the microphone, so that was fun. But uh, other than that, yeah, it's just been busy. Yeah, I mean, everything's been. Did that Friday had convention Saturday. Yeah, you went to a convention. How yeah. was that? That was fun. That, that was now. Uh, is that Anime Nebraska? Yeah. So this is an anime convention. Yep. Um, and I saw you guys did a little cosplaying. Yep. My Charlotte and my sister were. Or Charlotte was was uh, Louise Belcher from Bob's Burgers. My sister was Tina Belcher. Yep. And I was just I was the burger. Yeah, you were a giant hamburger. I was a giant hamburger. Yes. Um, you know, this and everybody loved the outfits. Oh yeah, they were great. They were amazing. Um, I'm glad to see the conventions are coming back. Yeah, and this, you know what, dude? We stood, I you know, because we've been to this convention before in the past. Yeah, and it was always a good crowd, always a good sized crowd. We stood in line, I want to say, for 45 minutes. Oh my god! Before we even got in. Wow. I mean, the place was packed. Well, it's, you know, we haven't had a lot of conventions, especially here in Omaha, uh, in the last couple of years. Mm. So this is the first big convention that they've had. And everyone to get out and do some stuff, you know, see their friends and do what they love. And it's good to see the world kind of getting back to yeah. normal. I, I, know, I know a few people who were really excited about going to this. Yeah. Just to get back into that scene because they kind of felt a little out of place about, you know, all this stuff being... Not happening. Well, and a lot of people, you know, and this is not being you know, disparaging to anyone, because I think this is great. A lot of people that might not be comfortable socially. They come out of their skin. They, they really come, come, out out of, shell. come out of their shell. And they're around their people. Yeah. And to take. And this is my sister's first convention. Oh, it was. And it was a huge culture shock to her. Because she didn't know. The... She didn't know what to expect. Okay. And. I was like, you're going to see every kind of person you could think of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, the the anime thing really isn't my thing. I've been to this convention uh, I, to present, you know, uh, I did makeup at it one year. Yep. Um, or a couple years, actually, I did makeup. Uh, just, you know, people come up, give me some money. I'd put makeup on whatever they wanted, you know. And uh, they if they could show me a picture, we would do it. So I've done makeup. I actually did makeup on... Uh, Cartman's mom there. She was a guest one year. Oh, yeah. And she wanted to play a prank on the uh, the organizers. So I put this huge cut across her forehead. A bloody and just nasty looking cut. And she went in and said that somebody ran by with a prop sword and it hit her in the head and cut her. She walked into... They were having a big like meeting of all the uh, the managers and volunteers and she ran into this room with this bloody oh my god gash on and her this head. This is when it was still at the hotel. Yes, and uh, she runs in there with this bloody gash on her head, and people were like almost falling down. Like oh my god, oh my god, one of our guests got injured. Oh my god, and then we, were, I walked in, and it went from oh my god, my guest got injured. Fuck you, Mike. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and we we had a good laugh about it, and uh, my job is done. Yeah, I was like, hey, I must have <laughs> done a good job because I fooled everybody in this room. Yeah. Um, but I mean, dude, it was it was good. I mean, they had. They had the main floor with all the exhibit or with all the like the the merch, the vendors, and the things, vendors yeah. area, and then they had the the celebrity stuff in the back over there. Yeah, okay. And you went around, 
and I think they were showing movies, and they had like a dance off, a dance contest. Oh wow! And then upstairs they had like the, all the tabletop area, all oh, the games. gaming, yeah. And that was that place was full too. And then I think there was another. If you took the elevator to the other floor, I think up to the suites, they had some more stuff up there. Oh wow! You know these things, and then, and then it went till like like one o'clock in the morning. Oh. The vendors were done at seven, and then it was just. Party parties, yeah, that, and that's and, part of the con culture, you know. And if I didn't, you know, if I wasn't, if it was you and me, we we, we went to the party. Oh yeah, of course. But I had my daughter with me, so she, you know, couldn't take her to the party. Well, and the thing is, you know, like I like I said, you know, this might not be my my thing, but you know, I do enjoy going to like the the horror conventions and yeah. things like that, and the pop culture conventions, and you always you always see, you know, like 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 we said, the people coming out of their shell, people that normally wouldn't talk to you know they, they they don't like talking to people they're comfortable they're in some sort of costume from mm-hmm. uh, a show that they like or a movie that they like and they're not themselves they are they're that character that character or they are you know they're, they're they have just enough of a anonymity that they'll come up and talk to anybody yeah you'll see it and, and, and that's great I, I love to see people having fun Doing what they, you know, what they like with with their people. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was great to go to a con. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, we haven't been to one. I, I mean, I haven't been to one in years. Right, I haven't either. And well, no, we went to that one uh, last year where we were yeah. on the show. Yep. Um, but uh, but this compared to the one we did in Grand Island. Yeah. This so much bigger. Oh, I'm sure. It, it's and it was very specific. The one we did out there was more of a general pop culture. Yeah. This one was like anime, 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 go. Yeah. You know? So when you when you get to something where it's all horror or all anime or whatever it happens to be, they tend to be a little bit more all immersive in that thing. Yeah. So that's it's really good. Yeah, that's fun. Um, Ran into a few people we knew. I mean, there's people there that we, I that were there we didn't see. Oh yeah. And it's like I posted on Facebook. I'm like, hey, we were here yesterday. Got a couple pictures. And people were like, oh my god, I didn't even see you. Yeah. Like, what were you wearing? I was like, I was the burger. Yeah, I was a big hamburger. <laughs> and you don't recognize people because they're in such great costumes. Yeah. Like, I ran one of our good friends, and I didn't even recognize her because of her costume. Oh, yeah. And every time I'd try to look and see if it was her, she'd turn her head. Oh. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> and it wasn't until I got home and I looked at my phone again. And you saw the costume. And I was like, we were sitting right next to you. That's funny. That's funny. So, uh, should, we, should we talk about, we've been talking for like 20 minutes. Yeah. Should we talk about what we want to talk about here? Yeah. That's usually what we end up doing. Though. I know. I know. So, we got to thinking, we want to do something Halloween for October. And, A, we did, we thought, what's going to be the easiest thing for us to talk about once? And, two, what's something that we loved back in the 80s, 90s? Just kind of a, a genre of movie that we absolutely loved, and what we came up with, I think, is a very beloved style of movie that kind of was popular back then, and that is the horror anthology movies. And they've got them out still, but they're not main attraction style movies anymore. Yeah, and they're not quite the same. You know, they they used to be amazing, and with a couple of Notable exceptions, one of which we'll talk about, they're not the same no. anymore. Um, we've worked on some anthology-style movies, 
And while they're fun and it's cool to have, you know, three or four or even more short films within a film, it's it's just not the same. No. So we're going to talk about the horror anthologies that we kind of grew up on. And uh, let's just jump right in here. Now, I know last year we talked about horror on TV. Yep. And this first movie... That was horror. Horror. Not, not horror. Yeah. Horrors on TV. Yeah, we get those on, on the internet. Um, but uh, this this first one that we're going to talk about is derived from one of these TV shows, and that's Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. And the main thing that you would see in these films would be there's some sort of story that ties all of these shorts together. Yep. So this particular one, it is uh, a, a witch traps a couple of or traps a, a, a child, a young yeah, the paper boy. boy. Yeah, the paper boy. And her plan is she's going to uh, cook him for dinner. And this is played by Deborah Harry, isn't it? Yes. Isn't Blondie? From Blondie, yeah. yeah. Uh, so She was in the one I watched yesterday, too. She was in Body Bags. Oh, really? You watched Body Bags? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she, was, she was the nurse in Body Bags. That's right. Uh, and Body Bags is one that didn't make our list. I haven't seen that one in so long. Uh, that was the first time I watched it. Yeah. It was actually really good. I've probably seen it before in the past, but it's been so long that... It was new to you. Yeah, yeah. it was new to me again. And that's... I don't know it well enough to where I could, you know, really speak on it. Um, so we didn't include it. Well, we'll do a John Carpenter episode. See, when time. I watched... When, I, when I've when i seen... When I used to watch this, uh, Tales from the Dark Side here, I always thought that the witch was the maid from Clue. Oh, Yeah. But it's not her. I didn't know. I didn't realize it was Debbie Deborah Harry. Yeah, De- yeah, it's Debbie Harry. Um, so, you know, she's she's gonna cook this boy, and in order to stall her, because she's trying to feed him to fatten him up, he reads her stories. He reads her stories, and it's a book that she had given him to read while he was in in his cage. Cage, yeah. It's called Tales from the Dark Side. So Tales from the Dark. Side. It's made up of three. Little stories. Um, Lot 243 is the first one. And that one is uh, basically these college students. They get... uh, One gets cheated by a couple of his classmates. They frame him uh, for stealing a test, I think. Yeah. And uh, they're competing for the scholarship. And so they frame him. So he reanimates a mummy... To murder them. Oh yeah, but and you know what's you know what I find is interesting is you don't find too many 17th century cells in houses anymore. But there's one in this one. Yes. Yeah, she's got the well. She's a witch, so I'm sure that you know it. She probably contracted it to be built. Um, I think the 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 boy uh, in this the, the plays the paper boy. I think he he's awesome. That's Matthew Lawrence is his name. That's Matthew Lawrence. I was going to say yeah. that was um. What's his name? Joey. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, he's that's Joey's brother. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Joey, Joey Lawrence. Bro- yeah, it's his brother. <laughs> Joey Lawrence. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Blossom. Uh, no, this kid... Blossom was a good show. Yeah, Blossom was a pretty good show. Um, This kid actually was in uh, Mrs. Doubtfire and Boy Meets World. Oh, yeah. So, uh, this first story, the, the, the Lot 249... Uh, someone's a mummy, and uh, I watched him on Celebrity Cookoff. This kid, yeah, he was on that. Cause oh, he wow. doesn't do anything anymore. Okay. Um, 
but they destroy the mummy. They burn the remains, and they believe that they have burned the spell that would reenact him. Um, so they bring the students that were murdered back from the death, you know, back from, from back, the dead, back from the dead, and they uh, they they force the mummy to uh, kill the the boy that made the mummy die. Basically, okay. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, they take it to the wrong place, don't they? Yeah, yeah. They they take the mummy to the wrong it's location. Supposed to go to a museum or some shit, and ends up in a college dorm. Yeah. So I mean, kind of a fun little little story. You know, what made this movie even better. What's that? If this was actually Animal House. Oh yeah. And they're partying. They're the partying. Yeah. That'd be fun. <laughs> but you know, th- this this whole movie. I mean, it. I can see D-Day reanimating the mummy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, this was uh, made in 1990, but it has a very 80s feel to it. Well, know? it was right at the beginning. It was, it was probably made in the 80s. Yeah. Late 80s, and it came out in 1990. I mean, because it's got a very young Jack Nicholson in it. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, it does, doesn't it? No, it's like, that's Christian Slater. Yeah. <laughs> well, he looks like Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. Um, you know who it does have in it? It's uh, Steve Buscemi. It does. Um, and uh, and Christian Slater. Um, you know, this one probably, out of the three, probably the weakest story of all three. Yeah. I would say. Um, so. And they blew their budget on this. They, they, I think they, they blew their budget on the casting. Big time. It doesn't isn't Steve Buscemi the the science nerd? Yes. Yeah. And look how young he is. I mean, he still got them. He still got them crazy Steve Buscemi eyes and teeth. Yeah. Well, he's he was born with those. That's kind of his trademark. But it, and he he was like a uh, he was an older student, so he was like the the supervisor or whatever. Yeah. yeah the, the the of the house. So you know, just a fun little you know little tale. Uh, yeah, and Christian Slater plays a dick, as he usually does. He was good at that, though. Yeah. Um, the second story... He was in, really good in Gleaming the Cube, though. That was a great oh, movie. Gleaming, yeah, Gleaming the Cube's awesome. That's like one of my favorite movies by him. Um, the second little tale in this is my favorite of the whole thing. It's uh, Cat from Hell. That's a good one. And the old man in this, oh, I love him and everything a, he's done. There's an old man in a wheelchair, and he... Uh, Wants to hire a hitman, so the hitman is supposed to kill a black cat, which this man named Drogon uh, believes is is evil. Believes he's a murderous cat, and the reason that he believes this is there were three other occupants of the house before the cat arrived: his sister, her friend, and the butler. And the cat killed them all. And he believes the cat has killed them all. And he believes the cat is after him next. And um, the reason that he believes the cat is killing them is because he owns a pharmaceutical company. And they killed 5,000 cats while testing a new drug. And he believes that the cat is there to avenge their deaths. Which makes sense. It really does. Um, The hitman does not believe the story, but he's willing to kill the cat because he's being offered $100,000. 
Uh, Dude, I'll kill a cat for $100,000. I'll be right back. But the problem is, when this man comes back to see if the hitman has uh, succeeded, he finds out that the hitman is dead. Yep. And the cat has killed the hitman by climbing into his mouth, climbing down his throat, and... Uh, and the effects on that are so awesome. Yes. When the old man shows back up, the cat climbs out of the hitman's you know, corpse and jumps at Drogon, the old man, and gives him a heart attack, thus fulfilling his duty in avenging the deaths of 5,000 cats. Do you think he dutied in the hitman? Probably, and probably buried it somewhere in his lower intestine. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I, I do believe that. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, the, the third and final tale of, from the dark side. It's called Lover's Vow. And it's about a struggling artist that lives in a uh, studio apartment with a skylight, which he can see this giant gargoyle on the building next door. And it's like looking into his skylight. And he, he ends up going to the bar drinking, and the, the uh, bar owner is like, you're not driving, I'll walk you home. Yeah. So he stops to uh, pee in, the, in an alley, and his friend sees this monster that looks like this gargoyle. And the creature attacks him, tears his hand off, and the guy tries to run away, but the creature corners him and says that you know, he makes a deal with him. He's like, I'm not going to kill you, but you can never speak of this again. You can't talk about this ever again. And the monster scratches a big X on his chest and says, cross your heart, and then vanishes. So this guy runs away, finds a woman just hanging out in the darkness. Ray Dong Chong. Is it? Yeah. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, Tommy Chong's daughter. She was great in Angel Heart. Yeah. Yes. Um, she was great in Commando. No, she wasn't in Commando. She was, was in she? one of those. Yeah. I don't remember which one. I think it was. Um, but she runs into the, he runs into this lady. Um, she's lost. She's looking to find a taxi. So the guy says, hey, come back to my place and call a taxi. And she was there. She sees the wound on his chest. She cleans it up. And, of course, then they have sex. So the guy's life is getting great. He's He becomes a very successful artist. Um, they marry. They have children together. Two kids. Yeah, they have two kids together. But this guy is still, like, haunted by this gargoyle creature. And on the 10th anniversary of him meeting this lady, also the 10th anniversary of him meeting the gargoyle. gargoyle, he tells her about the monster. She gets very uncomfortable and then screams, you promise you'd never tell, and reveals that she is, in fact, the creature. And now... She cannot remain in human form. She transforms back into the monster. And the children turn into gargoyles. And then she... Uh, bites him in the neck. Bites him in the neck, yeah. She uh, she kills him. So then she flies away with her gargoyle children. And then there are now three gargoyles up on the building, staring down into this apartment. So that was kind of a cool story. That That's a good one. Um, over the, uh, you know... Over this, they go back to the wraparound story with the witch. Yep. And she says, 
you know that you did save the best story for last, but the the next one is the best. It has a happy ending, and she says it's too late for her to start cooking him. But none of the stories in the book have happy endings, so this kid starts narrating what he's doing. Yeah, and he throws some marbles on the floor. She slips. She impales herself on her cooking tools. He then lets himself out of the cage and throws her in there. Throws her in the oven. Yeah. And then he grabs a cookie, turns and looks at the camera and says, don't you just love a happy ending? Beautiful ending to this movie. The reason we picked it to be first is it's probably the worst movie we're going to talk about. Yeah. And it's still, I mean, this is still a good movie. It's a great movie. It's just sometimes a little boring. Um, but I, I enjoy the, the film. Um, so the, the first, uh, segment is, from Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. It's a short story that he wrote in 1892. Oh, no shit. Now, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, you may remember, as the creator of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Um, so he uh, it's based on his story. The second one is based on a Stephen King story, The Cat from Hell. And the screen ad- adaptation was written by George Romero. Oh, no shit. Yes. And uh, the third one uh, is an adaptation of uh, another book called Quaden Stories of the Strange Stories and Studies of Strange Things. Quaidus. So, you know, you say Quaidus? No, I uh, Quaiden. 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 So, you kind of a fun little uh, little film to kick us off here. Let's see if there's any fun trivia about this. It's kind of like trying to say that cereal you have. You want some quisps? Quisps. You want some quisps? Hey, guys. You want to come over and have some quisps with me? So, Tales from the Dark Side. We're going to talk about these other two movies later on. Dude, there was supposed to be... There was an unmade sequel. Of this? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, This is considered to be a sequel as well. This is considered by fans and Tom Savini to be Creepshow 3. Oh, no shit. Yes. Um, they wanted to do a Creepshow TV series, which they've actually They've done. It, done didn't la- it only lasted a couple years, though. Um, and it was a good show. It was a great show. But they had to change the name from Creepshow because of legality reasons. So they thought, well, we'll just make it Tales from the Dark Side the movie. Yeah. Um... But well, didn't they have a Tales from the Dark Side of the series, too? Yes, the series was first. And we talked about that, and it's it's amazing. Um, so they used a lot of the same crew as the Creepshow series. Um, which is kind of interesting to, you know. Yeah. To, to see. Um, during a scene in Lot 249, Dawn of the Dead is heard playing on TV. So, there's another George Romero tie. Yep. Um, they wanted to put Cat from Hell in Creepshow 2, but they didn't have the budget for it. So, they, they, they scrapped it. Oh, no shit. Um, also, in Cat from Hell, another George Romero movie is playing in the background, Martin, which is a great vampire movie if you've never seen it. I've never seen that. It's really cool. Really, really cool. Uh, starring uh, John Amplis. Martin... No, it's not that Martin. My aunt. No, it is, it is, it's, Say what? No, it is not that. It's not Martin Lawrence, no. My um, aunt. 
It, do you think Martin Lawrence and Joey Lawrence are related? They could be. I, I maybe, maybe adopted. Um. So three of the cast members here also appeared on the television series back in 1983. That would be Deb, uh, Debbie Harry. Yep. William Hickey. Yeah. And Christian Slater. Oh yeah, he was super young. Yes. Um. And a lot of. George Romero's normal people that, you know, actors that he liked to use are in this movie. Yeah. Um, they also have uh, Night of the Living Dead is featured in one of these seri- these uh, shorts. So this movie is, you know, while Romero was not really as involved in it, it features a lot of his material in here. Um a lot of his influence. Yeah, and I mean, he he, he did write the story of, of Cat from Hell. Uh, I'm sure he produced it and all of that. But, you know, it's just... Uh, it, it's very heavily... He heavily influenced this film, and you can tell. Um, well, you said, didn't you say Tom Savini had, was big on this? Yeah, Tom Savini loves so he yeah. lo- he's And he was got a lot of his inspiration from Romero. Yes, he did. And got his break in doing Romero movies. So, um, that uh, Lover's Vow is based on a Japanese folk story. The, the In the Japanese folk story, it's a ghost. Yeah. They turned it into a gargoyle. And that was featured in that book that I, the coitus or whatever the hell we said. Coitus? Yeah. That means sex. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. I. Uh, the Cat from Hell segment where the cat crawls out of the mouth, the studio forced Romero. So Romero was very heavily involved in the film itself. He just didn't direct, or I don't think he directed it. Um, I'll look. But they wanted him to do some sort of a shocking scene. So he borrowed from his film uh, Monkey Shines, which was in 88, yep. where the monkey clawed its way out of a character's back. That's right. So that's where he borrowed that from. Um, That's a great movie, too. Monkey Shines is awesome. Uh, so, what what, uh, what what are your thoughts on uh, on this this movie? I, I actually really like this movie. It's always been one of my favorites. Yeah, it, it, it's a... Out fun- of the anthology-style movies. But, I mean, but there's only a handful of them that we had when we were kids. Right, and I think we're going to talk about most, if not all, of them uh, here. Yeah. Uh, I want to look real quick. I do want to see what what involvement Romero had in this. Um, he he just wrote the screenplay for the one segment. That's it. That's what it says here. Um, producers. Yeah, that's uh, basically that's the only involvement that he had in it. No, no shit. Yeah, according to this. You know, I'm sitting here thinking, it could be quiet in this house all day. And then we start recording, and, and everybody comes out of the, the house comes to life. Oh, dude! So, um, yeah, that's that's uh, that's Tales of the Dark Side the movie. Now, to kind of piggyback off of this, making a TV series into a movie, we're going to go back to 1983. <laughs> Produced by Steven Spielberg and John Landis, Twilight Zone. The movie. This is fucking amazing. I love this one. These, This one has four stories in it. And they are directed by 
John Landis, of course, we know him from American Werewolf in London. Mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg, we know him from E.T. and, and everything, everything else. else. Um, Joe Dante, whom we know from Gremlins. And George Miller, who is best known for the Mad Max franchise. Yep. So, I mean, the, right there they have four powerhouse directors. And I think the narrator was um, Mick from Rocky. Oh, yeah. Uh, Burgess Meredith? Yeah. Um, yes, I just saw Burgess Meredith in this. Um, let me see where... And grumpy Old Men. Yeah, well, yeah Rocky and grump, Grumpy Old Men. And, uh, he, was a, he, was the, he was the penguin in the original Batman series. And he also was in one of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes, which is uh, Time at Last, where he wants, just wants time to read. And so the oh, entire his, world ends except for him. His break. And then his glasses break. I love that one. Um, so listen to the... That happened on The Simpsons. Well, The Simpsons have done everything. The Treehouse of Horrors, they redid that, I believe. Yeah, because it was Homer's brain cells. Yes. So, the, the okay, listen to this cast. And we'll get further into it, but John Lithgow, uh, Vic Morrow, who he was in combat. He's been in all kinds of yep. stuff. Um, we have uh, Albert Brooks. I love Albert Brooks. We have Scatman Carruthers. Love him. He's good, too. Of course, we have said Burgess Meredith. And um, a guy named Dan Aykroyd was in this. Um, yeah, he's, he's been in a couple things. So, it opens up. Oh, and John Lorquette's in this, too. Yes, John Lorquette is in this. Just briefly. Um, this opens up as, as... There's not really a wraparound story. It's just kind of an introduction story. Two guys are driving cross-country late at night, and they start talking about the Twilight Zone and the episodes that they found the most scary. When the passenger, who is Dan Aykroyd, says, do you want to see something really scary? And they pull the car over, and he transforms into a monster and eats the driver, yeah. who is uh, Albert Brooks. Then they just jump right into uh, their segments. And the very first one is called A Quality of Mercy. This was directed by John Landis. And basically this is a story of prejudice, of bigamy, of just this guy that's just a complete asshole. Hated everybody. Well, his he gets really upset because uh, he's passed over for a promotion at work and his co-worker who gets the job is Jewish. So he's saying, you know, he's saying all kinds of slurs against the Jewish people black people, uh, Asian people. He's blaming him for all of America's problems. And he, he is finally asked by a black man <clears throat> to leave the bar. Yeah, he basically says, chill out. Yeah, chill out or leave. And so he leaves, and when he walks out of the bar, he finds himself in... Nazi Germany. Not, well, he's in France, actually. Oh, okay. But it's Nazi-occupied during World War II, and a pair of SS officers come up to interrogate him, believing that he is Jewish. And he doesn't speak German, so he cannot communicate with him. So they chase him, and uh, he ends up on the ledge of a building, and they're, they're shooting at him. You see, they never show what he actually would look like in their eyes. No, no, it's just him. It's just him, but they're seeing that he was 
Jewish. Yeah, they thought they believed him to be Jewish. Yeah. Um, well, he's on the ledge of that building. He falls off the ledge, and he lands in Alabama. Yep. In the 1950s, where he's being chased by uh, the KKK, because they see him as an African American man that they basically they want to lynch. Um, so I mean, this this whole segment is very very heavy. Yeah. You know, the whole theme of this segment is extremely heavy. I like the the message that they're portraying. But man, it's rough to watch. Oh for, yeah, for it was hard reasons. to watch. I just watched. I just watched a little bit ago before you got here, and it was it was it was hard. Yeah, it, it's it's tough to watch, and there are other reasons that you weren't aware of that I'm going to tell you about here very shortly. Um, well, he's trying to escape from them. He keeps telling them that he's he's white, and they don't see him that way. No. So he jumps into a lake to hide from them. And when he surfaces in the lake... He ends up in Vietnam. He's in the Vietnam War, and American soldiers are shooting at him and throwing grenades at him. And they they uh, threw the grenade at him. The grenade blew up. It didn't kill him. He it, landed back in France. He landed back in, in World War II. And the SS officers put him in a railroad freight car with the other Jewish prisoners, and he is shipped off to a concentration camp. And... He sees, as the train's going by, he sees his friends coming out of the bar looking for him, and they can't hear him or see him, and the train pulls away. Yep, and that's the end of that story. That's the end of that story. Now, here's the rough part of this segment. Uh, let me let me find the story. And I'm, and this is what you were going to tell me This earlier. is what I was going to tell you earlier, and this is really, really rough. Um, so during that segment, uh, they had some child actors that were portraying Vietnamese children. And they're running with this actor, uh, the the man that is being transported through all these different portions of history. Um, So, first off, they were filming this at 2.30 a.m. The children that were in this scene, one was seven years old, one was six years old. Uh, They were in violation of child labor laws. Okay. Because they could not be working that late. Um, also they were not supposed to be working near the explosions, uh, that were going on and there was no teacher or social worker on set. Um, so they were in, they violated a lot of laws. Uh, but there was a scene with a helicopter and the helicopter was flying too low. Helicopter ended up crashing. And ended up killing these kids. Oh, man. Um, now, it, the, the whole thing was not handled right. Well, that whole scene was... Those, I mean, those kids were cut out of the scene. That Yeah, the, they did not use... Well, it it wasn't even in the original draft of the movie. Okay. Um, but John Landis thought, you know, it would be more redeeming to have, like, two orphans... Have him helping two orphans. It would kind of redeem the character a little bit. So he put it in there. And that was supposed to be the... uh, That was supposed to be the the ending of the segment. Was he was supposed to escape the village as the helicopter destroyed the village. Well, with all the pyrotechnics going on and all that, uh, there was a miscommunication between the guy setting off the explosions... And the helicopter pilot, and 
they let off a, a explosion too close to the helicopter, which made the helicopter go out of control. It landed on top of uh, Vic Morrow and the children, and all three were killed instantly. Oh, no shit. Um, yeah, the kids were decapitated. It was a horrific accident. They did cut that scene out. But when it went to trial, John Landis said, you know, I, I thought that hiring the kids was wrong, which was his idea. But he said, I know it was wrong hiring the kids, but I feel that it was an accident. It was nothing we could control. Yeah. Well, the, you know, yeah, it kind of maybe could have been prevented. Uh, if they would have followed the rules, it definitely would have been prevented yeah. because kids wouldn't have even been there. Um, so that is kind of a cloud that hangs over this movie. Which is unfortunate because it's a great movie, but uh, you know it was just an unfortunate accident that happened. Yeah. Um, so a lot of times you'll hear people talk about this movie, and that's what comes up is this accident that killed three people. And I've never heard that before at all. Yeah, it's. I know it was covered in like cursed films that series, cursed films. They yeah. covered it. Um, but yeah, just horrible, horrible accident. Uh, but maybe to bring the mood up a little bit. We'll go on to my favorite segment of this whole movie. Uh, it's called Kick the Can. Yeah, this is a good one. This is directed by Steven Spielberg. And Scatman Carruthers is in this. And I love Scatman Carruthers. Yeah. Uh, of course, Scatman Carruthers, um, he was a musician. We He was in Chico and the Man. He was in The Shining. Um, you said he was in Transformers? Yeah, he was jazz in Transformers. So this he's been in a lot of things. Um, just a great, great, uh, iconic actor. So this one, this fellow moves in, you know, it, it's, it's based around a retirement home. And this fellow moves into the retirement home. And as he's listening to these other old folks kind of reminisce about being young, he, the uh, Scatman Carruthers, uh, Mr. Bloom is his uh, character's name. He says that just because you're old doesn't mean you need to act old, basically. You can still enjoy life. Because they're saying, you know, I used to do you know, do things that I can't do now. I used to dance or we used to play. We used to, you know, we used to have fun. You know, I talked to somebody about this the other day. Not this scene, but one of my friends, he's like, I'm going to get rid of all my stuff and, you know, it's time to grow up. No, why? I'm like, dude, it's, I go, just because you're getting older and, you know, you got to, be a little bit more mature doesn't mean you can you don't have to have fun anymore. Right, right. You no, can still, still you can still do childish things. Yeah, that's what keeps you keeps you young. It keeps you happy. You know. Yeah, look at us. We're like seventy five. No, we're not quite that old. Oh shit. So, anyways, uh, Mr. Bloom invites all these uh, residents of this retirement home to go to join him later that night for a game of kick the can. And there's one old man that says, "I'm not doing it because I'm too old." So he goes to bed. Everybody else goes outside, and they start playing kick the can. And all of a sudden, they transform into children. You know, what they were as children. Yeah. And they're playing, they're dancing, they're running around, they're doing everything they did when they were kids. And then they all of a sudden realize that they need a place to stay for the night because kids aren't going to be staying in this retirement home. And... They are afraid that their families won't recognize them. The one lady loses her wedding ring. The other lady says, I don't think I can handle watching everyone I love die again. Yeah. So she doesn't want to live another life. None of them do. 
they want to be old again. They just wanted to have that yeah, they, young feeling. Yeah. So, Mr. Bloom says, I can grant you that wish as long as you remember that your minds need to stay young. Well, one gentleman decides he's going to stay young and he's hiding in the bed and no one believes that they were kids. Yeah. You know, they don't believe this old man that's saying there's all these kids in here and he comes flying out from under the bed and jumps out the window and tells this, uh, this guy that wasn't a believer that he can't come with him after he's changed his mind and says he wants to be young. He's like, no, missed your opportunity. You can't come with me. And this kid takes off. So the next morning, he finds this uh, this man that was doubting him kicking a can around in the yard, and he's kind of changed his uh, whole his, thought process. Yeah, his, his his thought process. And as Scatman Carruthers is leaving, he just turns to the camera and says, "He'll get it." And then he leaves to go to another retirement home. And everybody in that retirement home, they were all being motivated. They're all motivated. They were just outside doing stuff instead yeah. of waiting to die. Yeah, they were happy. I think the reason that I enjoy this is due to the nature of where I work. I work in a care center. I see people like this all the time. And I try to bring elements of their youth back to them. Uh, you know, I was telling you about the guy that I'm introducing music that he listened to in the 70s. Yeah. Because they they didn't have that. They, they kind of had an older uh, mindset of nursing homes where it was all like 1920s, 1930s, you know, 1940s music where it's a big band and... I'm bringing in things like, you know, The Doors and Grateful Dead and letting them listen to that. Yeah, that's what you got to remember now. I mean, when, like we said earlier, the people who are in their 70s and 80s now were listening, like, to The Doors, The Led Zeppelin, Grateful Dead, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix. And talking to some of these residents, especially this gentleman that I'm talking about, he was at Woodstock. He hitchhiked to Woodstock when he was 19. He saw The Doors live at the Whiskey. He followed The Grateful Dead for a year. I talk to this guy about music on a daily basis because I would have loved to have just had the opportunity to see any of this, and he's seen it all. Yeah. So the music that I grew up with from my parents, this guy lived, you know, and, and actually was there. So it's just interesting to to see that and to see him light up when he gets to talk about it, you know. So that's cool, man. It's just fun. So in a way... You know, I don't know if maybe this segment inspired me or it's just, you know, wanting to relate and bringing up these things. You see how it affects them. That's, I think, why I love this segment. Yeah. It's just a, it's a feel good. Yeah, it's a fantasy instead of being horror. It's fantasy. But it's a great story. It's, it's a wonderful story. So, I don't know, you know, I I like it. So, uh, segment three. This is a remake of, uh, these are all remakes of Twilight Zone episodes, by the way. So this is a remake of the episode, It's a Good Life. Joe Dante actually uh, directed this one. And this one is, uh, a lady is traveling, and she's, uh, you know, she's traveling for her job. She's like a teacher or something. Yeah, and she stops into a bar. (coughs) She starts talking to the owner, and she sees a young boy playing video games, and the locals are harassing him because the video game's messing up the boxing match on television that they're trying to watch. Um, she defends the young boy, and then as she's leaving, she runs him over with her car. She backs into him while he's on his bicycle, which we laughed her asses off about. We did, because uh, we, we tried to figure that if there was an actual stuntman or if that was a kid that got hit. Right. 
and it was it was just a kind of a humorous <laughs> little scene. She offers him a ride home because she completely fucked his bicycle up, and so Debbie Harry was kind of hot. Oh yeah, we're watching Tales from the Dark Side right now. Um, <laughs> Sorry. So uh, she she takes him home, and when they get there, he invites her in, and it's this kid's uncle, his sister, and mother and father, and they're like so welcoming. They're almost to a point where it is creepy. Yeah. Um, they go through her purse and stuff when she's out of the room. Uh, they get cigarettes or smoking cigarettes. But what she notices is every room has a television that shows cartoons. And so they go into another room and they see another sister sitting watching cartoons. And she doesn't respond to him at all. And when they show, you know, the kid says that she's been in an accident. But when they show her from the front, which the other characters are staying behind her, she has no mouth. Her mouth, her mouth is gone. Been gone, yeah. Um, then they have dinner. Dinner is ice cream, caramel apples, potato chips, and hamburgers with peanut butter on them. That's so good, though. It really is. It really, really is. Um, I want to. I want to have that for dinner. <laughs> All of that, probably. Uh, just a burger. Um, so maybe some ice cream. This lady is like really confused by like why things are so weird in this house, but she just believes that it's this kid's birthday, and that's what he requested for dinner. So, they, they, you know, continue, weird things continue to happen. And they want to, you know, the, and the lady's like, I want to get the hell out of here. But the kid's like, no, stay. My uncle does a magic trick. Which is my favorite part of this whole thing. And the uncle pulls a rabbit out of his hat. And then the, uh, you know, first he's really nervous to do it, pulls out a normal rabbit. And the kid goes, wait, the best part's next. And he, the uncle doesn't want to do it. And the kid's like, do it. And he reaches in and he pulls out this giant monster rabbit. Demonic looking rabbit. It's sitting there shaking. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's like a, uh, it looks like one of those sphinx cats, but like really evil. Yeah. Those cats are evil anyways, I think. I don't like them cats, man. I, just, like, I like cats. But those, those naked cats are scary. Yeah, they got no fur on them. They're all wrinkly and shit. They always look pissed off. I know. Um, but it is funny when people draw eyebrows on them. Oh my uh, god! I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, this lady tries to leave, and she spills her purse, and then in the contents of her purse, there's a little note that says, "Help us, Anthony, who's a little boy, is evil, is a monster, is a yeah. monster, yeah." And the boy finds it, and so the family rats out the sister, and they say, "Well, they're not really." This kid's real relatives. This kid has brought them into the house to be his family after he killed his family. and Because they're all afraid of him. They're, everybody's afraid of him. So they... You know what this kid needed? It was a good ass whooping. Yeah, or a hug. That too. After the ass whooping. Well, the kid, it's revealed, has powers. And anything he wishes happens. So he sends his sister into a television set... Where she is eaten by a cartoon dragon. Yeah, it kind of looked like King Koopa. Yes, it did. Or Bowser, or whatever the hell's name is now. Um, she tried, the, the, the lady tries to escape. She opens the door, and there's a giant eyeball in the doorway, blocking her from running out. So then the kid summons another cartoon monster out of the television. And it's a, like a crazy-looking Tasmanian devil. Yes, thing. yes, it is going nuts. 
It's got their big cartoon eyes. Like, it's sitting there looking at her, and its eyes are popping in and out. Uh-huh. I mean, it's just fun. Well, she tells this kid, wish that thing away, and the kid makes the entire house disappear, and just him and this lady are just out there. They're just, like, outside of that whole plane of existence. And the kid says that he sent his family back to where they came from since they did not want to be with him. And he doesn't understand why everybody's so unhappy with him since he believes he provided their every desire. Yeah. So this lady offers to be this kid's teacher and help him find the way to use his powers. And she promises that she will never leave him. He makes her car reappear. And they are driving through like this, like, desert landscape. And as they drive by, flowers start popping up. So yep. the kid's bringing reality back to life. This is a fun one. Yeah, this is a good one. Very surreal. A lot of very bright colors and cartoon aspects. Uh, and it's really, really fucking weird. No, it's bizarre. You can't watch this shit on Strong Acid, man. No. Uh, and then the fourth one, a remake of another of my favorite episodes, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Which is, oh, dude, I love this one. Uh, originally, it's William Shatner. Yeah. Having a nervous breakdown on an airplane, which I can identify with. I do not like to fly. Uh, while he, in this episode, it is There's some John thing. Lithgow. Something on the wing. Some thing. Just so you're not confused, that is not William Shatner here with us. That's Corey doing an impression of William Shatner, in case you didn't know. He's here. He's here, spirit. Yeah, he is. So it's... Are we uh, all a little bit of William Shatner? You what? We're all a little bit of a William Shatner own, right? Got a little bit of William Shatner in you? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that uh, a lot of people have. Um, (laughs) You want to boldly go where no woman has gone before? (laughs) So... John Lithgow is portraying the role that William Shatner is of the airline passenger that's having a nervous breakdown. And John Lithgow is just fantastic. John anyway. Lithgow is amazing in everything. Um, Even Third Rock, he was great. Oh, yeah, it was funnier than that. That was like his first comedy shit he ever did. Yes. Because he was always a serious actor. Um, Unless you count the Santa Claus movie where he played the villain and that with Dudley Moore. Oh, Dudley, that was Dudley, great. With Dudley Moore. Yes. So, uh, this guy is sitting there watching the wing of the airplane and this monster appears on the wing of the airplane so he starts panicking and uh, the creature is like tearing the wing apart and you know making the engines blow up and finally the guy you know the Lithgow um, freaks out he tries to break the window open the uh, sky there's a sky marshal on the plane uh, he tries to wrestle him to the ground, and John Lithgow takes the Sky Marshal's revolver and shoots out the window, causing <coughs> the pressurized cabin to depressurize, and all the people die. No, I guess I don't. That's not true. They don't. <laughs> that was Final Destination. Yes, that's right. Um, no, they. they <laughs> I was like, we just watched. I just watched this. None of that happened. Well, some of it didn't. Some of it did. Some of it did. Okay, so. Uh, he starts shooting at the, at the monster. The, he mon- misses. the monster bites the gun in half, and then the plane is landing all of a sudden. Well, he grabs his face. And so the guy, you know, the gremlin grabs, grabs his, his face. face. And he's like, uh, uh, uh. Yep. And then the creature flies away as the uh, plane lands. 
And when they're questioning uh, John Lithgow's character, um, they they put him on a gurney and they're taking him away. And he's talking about this monster and everybody thinks he's full of shit and all that. Um, he put him in a street jacket. He's put in an ambulance and the maintenance crew is finding these giant claw marks on the on wing. The, on, yeah, on the on the, uh, on the engine. Yes. And so they put him in the ambulance. The ambulance driver turns around, and it is Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd. And he asks him, heard you had a pretty big scare up there, huh? You want to see something really scary? So it comes full circle. Yep. This movie's amazing. Amazing. What, what do you think about this movie? I like it. I mean, I've always liked this movie. Even the original. Or, like, just the original series we used to watch when we were kids. But this one here, I think it, it brought that 1960s, 50s feeling, updated them to the modern 80s. Yeah, yeah, it really did. Because, I, I mean, because, like, the original Gremlin was just a guy in a green suit. Yeah. He looked like a, just... He kind of looked like Moss, Moss Man, Moss Man yeah. or that, uh, the guy from The Horde. With the fur. Oh yeah, yeah. He kind of looked like them, and it was all—it was just a big fluffy guy. They just wanted to give him a hug. Yeah, and this and one was this actually one, scary. This one was creepy as hell. Yeah. He had—he had nasty predator dreadlocks and big giant white eyes. Yeah, yeah. They, like no pupils. It was one of those things where they—they they couldn't do the effects in the original that they could do at this point. Yeah, and it—it it really it did. It modernized the the story. Um, some some trivia about this. So Vic Morrow, who was in the, uh, the the scene with the helicopter, yeah, while he was waiting to film that, he turned to a production assistant and he said, "I must be out of my mind for doing this. I should have asked for a stunt double. But what can they do? Kill me, right?" That's what he said just before the plane, the, the plane crash. crash. Yes. Yeah. Um, and. He was filming another movie called Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry in 1974. Oh, yeah. He insisted that he had a $1 million life insurance policy before he would shoot any scenes involving that helicopter. Uh, and he was going to be riding on the helicopter. And he was very insistent when they asked him why. He said, I've always had this premonition that I was going to die in a helicopter crash. Oh, shit. So he, it didn't happen then, but it did happen. Um, oh, we still had that life insurance. Yeah. Because of that accident, Steven Spielberg ended his friendship with John Landis. Um, because it, it, that really made him sick. Yeah. Um, he, you know, he said that no movie is worth dying for. And so this film, they implemented a lot of safety measures on films after. One of which being that uh, if an actor feels something isn't safe, they have the right and responsibility. Every actor and every crew member can yell cut if they see something that's not yeah. right. Um, George Miller, he actually left the project after he filmed his segment. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Um, they had to, you know, he, he, had, he had filmed it. And he just said, I'm done. So he did not oversee the editing of his film. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's that's just a, kind of a weird little connection to, yeah. to that. 
Um, William Shatner was considered to reprise his role. Oh, that would have been great. But he had he had prior commitment, so he had to turn it down. Like he was doing Star Trek, the motion picture. He may have been. What year did this come out? Um, 83? 83. Let's see when Star Trek, the motion picture came out. Um, so, yeah, Shatner was was supposed to uh, to do it. And years later, when John Lithgow was in Third Rock from the Sun, this came out in 79. Uh, John Lithgow was in Third Rock from the Sun, which he portrayed an alien who was sent to Earth to observe human behavior. Yeah. Their boss was called the Big Giant Head. Oh, he, yeah. He was never seen until William Shatner guest starred in that role. When William Shatner first appears on the show, John Lithgow's character asks him he how was his trip a, he was. He was doing the Wrath of Khan. Oh, okay, okay. I'm guessing because I came out in '83 or '82, so fucking. Um, well, when when William Shatner appeared on Third Rock from the Sun, the first thing that that John Lithgow asked him on screen was, "How was your trip?" And Shatner says, "It was a horrible flight. There was a man on the wing of the plane." And John Lithgow's character looks at him and says, "The same thing happened to me." Oh my god! So they they gave a little shout out to this uh, this film. Um. So. John Larroquette was involved in this, and John Larroquette requested to watch the filming of what would become that helicopter accident. Yeah. But his car was stolen the night before, and he couldn't make it to the set. So I guess he lucked out of seeing this horrible yeah. thing. Um, but, you know, John Landis has had a very successful career in Hollywood despite this. He directed Trading Places, Three Amigos, and Coming to America since then. But he says that he is still haunted by it, and not a day has gone by that he does not think about that, that accident. accident. Um, what else do we have here? Do, 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 do. Enough about that accident. <laughs> There's a lot of trivia about that accident. Um they, they, they mention a lot of episodes from the original Twilight Zone in this, even in the dialogue that Dan Aykroyd... Oh, yeah. Brooks, that's what they're talking about. It's their favorite episode. <clears throat> so they keep talking about that. Uh, Rod Sterling, the original uh, Twilight Zone creator, he is seen in the opening sequence. He's reflected in the eyeball. Oh, no shit. That floats by. Yeah. Now, he was the original He was the original host, wasn't he, too? No. Yes. Okay. Yeah. More about that. Um... In Kick the Can, Steven Spielberg's future mother-in-law, Priscilla, Priscilla Pointer, uh, appears in that segment. She must have been the night nurse or something. Yeah, she appears in that segment. And uh, Spielberg ended up marrying her daughter, Amy Irving, from 84 to 89. Um, just tons of Twilight Zone references, tons of... of callbacks to the original and I think this is a great tribute to yeah. the original. I would I you know I would like to see another Twilight Zone movie. It would be yeah, it would be fun. Um do you want to know what Roger Ebert said about this? Oh for fuck's sake. So we still got to yeah, we still we we've been so damn busy we forgot about doing the about Roger Ebert. No, my Oh, oh your fucking, yeah, your yeah, show. My my fucking so, film critic show. Roger Ebert rated each segment individually. And he gave him a one to one to four stars, you know the scale. And he gave the the opening a two. What oh, the fuck? He's an idiot. He gave the first segment a two. 
Or no, he gave the, the first segment a one and a half. With fucking Ackroyd? Uh, Ackroyd got a two. The helicopter segment got a one and a half. Uh, and then the next one, which was Kick the Can, got a three and a half. And the final one got a three and a half. Um, How the fuck does this guy stay in business? So Ebert said that the surprising thing is the two superstar directors are thoroughly routed by two lesser-known directors whose previous credits have been horror and action pictures. He said that Steven Spielberg, since that he and Landis were the, the had the weakest results, that's why he put them first. He said that they got increasingly better, and he thinks that Spielberg did that on purpose. Because it was John Landis first. Yeah. That was the roughest one. Then the kick the can was the next one. Yep. Then you had uh, the uh, the kid in the third one. Yep. And then the last one was the John Lithgow. So he thinks that that they were arranged on purpose in order of increasing excitement. I mean, I could see that. But Ebert's still a fucking idiot. He also said that this movie starts slow, almost grinds to a halt, then has a fast comeback. No, it doesn't. It doesn't grind to a halt. I didn't think so either. Um, people called it macabre, which it really wasn't. Um, Rotten Tomatoes, though, has it a 59% approval rating. That's not terrible for them. No, it's actually pretty good. And it has mixed to average reviews. Uh, ComingSoon.net said that the Dan Aykroyd Albert book scene is the greatest opening scene in horror history. Said it's brilliant, loose, and funny, and ultimately disturbing. See, those guys know what they're talking about. In 2020, Looper put out a list. You know, Looper puts out all those lists. Mm-hmm. They said that it was included on the list of the most terrifying opening scenes in horror films. I can agree. Yeah. I thought it was great. Uh, and this thing has been everywhere. I mean, you, it, it, it grossed uh, $42 million worldwide, cost $10 million to make. So it's a success. And this is why we had the 1980s version of The Twilight Zone on television. It's because of this movie. That was a good series too. Yes, it was. So, what? What? Yeah. What are your final thoughts on on this one? I like. I really like this movie. It's like I said. It's you know, there's only been a handful of anthology movies that we had that, we, that was around in you know when we were kids. But this is, I would say, probably this was probably my favorite. This is among my favorites. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It, fun. They recreated a lot of the old, you know, episodes, made them more modern, and maybe brought new eyes to the original product, yeah. which is cool. Um, and, and then and Ebert can fucking suck a dick. Okay. <laughs> He's an idiot. Uh, <laughs> the last one we're going to talk about in this first half here is called Cat's Eye, or Stephen King's Cat's Eye. And this was in 85. Um, and I haven't seen this one in a long time. The first two segments of this were featured in Stephen King's 1978 book, The Night Shift. The third one was created just for this film. And all three stories are connected only because there is this cat that wanders through them. Did The Night Shift, wasn't that a movie that had the Fonz in it and Michael Keaton? Yes, I think so. 
And they it, were, not related. They were pimps? Yes, it's not. It, Stephen King did not write that. Too bad. Yeah, it would have been a lot better if, if he did. <laughs> that movie was great. <laughs> uh, notable uh, cast members in this. Alan King, Robert Hayes, um, which you know we, we, we are both very uh, familiar with them. Mm-hmm. James Woods and Drew Barrymore. Young Drew Barrymore. Very young. So let's uh, let's run down the plot of this real quick. So it starts out, there's a stray cat that's hiding from a dog on a delivery truck. And the, uh, the cat sees a young girl pleading for help. And then he's picked up by a man named Junk. This cat is. Junk. And then it goes into the first story called Quitters, Inc. And this guy is, invi- is advised to join Quitters, Inc. to kick his smoking habit. And the counselor says that they have a 100% success rate due to their uniquely pervasive methods. And every time that this guy smokes a cigarette, his wife and his child suffer some sort of tragedy. Oh, shit. So they use this cat that this guy's assistant junk caught in the street to demonstrate the first of these these tragedies. You think that was you think this was JYD? Uh, no, it was not. Um, the cat's put in a cage and tormented with electrical shocks that come from the floor. So this guy explains to James Woods, uh, every time that he is caught smoking a cigarette, his wife will be shocked while he is forced to watch. For further incidents where he smokes, his daughter will be shocked. And uh, then his wife will be assaulted in a way that we won't really get into. And then at the very end, he himself will be killed. And so uh, this guy, he hides the threats from his family. That night he's angered. He notices a pack of cigarettes and he starts to smoke. But then he notices that there are feet in his closet and he realizes that someone from Quitters Inc. is watching. So the next day he visits his daughter, he gives her a doll um, while he's at, he visits her <coughs> at school and he notices again the organizer of this Quitters Inc. is watching him. So then he gets stuck in traffic, he finds a pack of cigarettes in his glove box, he smokes a cigarette and then he has to watch his wife get shocked and at this point he attacks the men that are doing this and the cat escapes yep which is important so this guy says he's not going to smoke anymore and he tells his wife everything now he's smoke free he's gained a lot of weight because he has quit smoking so this guy gives him you know the guy from quitters inc gives him illegal diet pills set to target weight for this guy and the guy, you know, he James Woods, he asks, what will happen if I continue to gain weight? And he says, well, somebody's going to cut off your wife's little finger. Holy shit. So later, the, uh, this guy and his wife, they have a dinner party with a friend that recommended him to this Quitters, Inc. And they, they have a toast. And he sees that his uh, friend's wife is missing her little finger. So obviously, he made it to that point. Yeah. And that's what happened to him. So why he would recommend something like this, I don't know. 
But he did. Maybe it was part of the uh, part of the uh, punishment. So the second uh, little segment in this, it's called the ledge. So the cat escaped from the Quitters Inc. So the cat jumps on the Staten Island ferry and ends up in Atlantic City, New Jersey, where he sees this same girl asking for help. Yep. But the story starts, and it's a gambler who gets involved with a woman, and her husband is a crime boss and casino owner. Well, this guy will bet on anything, and he wagers that this cat can successfully cross the street outside the casino. It does, and so he takes the cat home. And so uh, uh, the crime boss has this guy kidnapped and blackmails him into doing something very dangerous. He has to go out the window and walk all the way around the ledge and make it all the way around. And uh, if he makes it around, this guy will divorce his wife so that she and this Norris, this, this other guy, yeah. can be together. And if he refuses, the, then the police will be called and he'll be arrested for possession of drugs because they planted drugs in his car. Oh, shit. So the guy agrees to do it. So as he goes out and starts walking around the ledge, you know, like shuffling by, first the guy, the other guy pops out of one of the windows and blows a horn in his face. And then a pigeon lands beside him and starts pecking at his foot until it bleeds. And then um, finally the guy turns the fire hose on Norris so that he, you know, has to keep moving. So the guy makes it all the way around. He gets into the apartment. The crime boss says, I'll honor my bet. They remove the drugs. They give him a big bag of cash. And when he kicks the bag of cash over, he reveals that it is the wife's severed head. Oh, shit. And so Norris attacks the crime boss. And the henchman comes in. The cat trips him. And the henchman drops his gun. So Norris gets the gun, kills the henchman, points it at the crime boss. And he makes the crime boss do the same thing. Go out on the ledge, make its way around, and the cat watches as the pigeon makes the crime boss fall to his death. Well, fuck. Yeah, and that's kind of a fun... That's a good story right It's a fun there. little story. Yeah. Um, the third one, the cat... Who Apparently the cat travels a lot. This one's called General. The cat... That's the name the cat. Yeah, that's the cat's name. Uh, the cat jumps on a train and goes to North Carolina, where he's adopted by the girl he's been seeing asking for help. And the, and the, the girl named Amanda names the cat General. Who is Drew Barrymore. Yes. The mother believes that the cat will harm their parakeet. So she doesn't want the cat in the house. So the mom throws the cat out of the house that night. And... That means that this cat cannot protect Amanda, Drew Barrymore, from a small troll that lives in her wall. And while the girl sleeps, the troll will come out of the hole in the wall and steal her breath. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the, the troll ends up killing the parakeet with a little dagger, and then he's trying to steal this girl's breath. The cat finds a way into the house, chases the troll, 
the troll stabs the cat in the shoulder and flees, leaving the girl and her parents to find the dead bird, convinced that the cat has killed the bird. Uh, you know, they, they want to get rid of the cat. But the dad finds this wound that's too big for this parakeet to have made yeah. on the cat. So he starts doubting that the bird that the bird was killed by the cat. So they take the, the cat to an animal shelter to be put to sleep. That night, the troll returns, wedges the door shut, and attempts to take her breath. And when they open the door of the animal shelter to give the cat his final meal, the cat escapes, rushes back to the house, saves the girl, fights with the troll, and the parents wake up, but they can't get in because the door is blocked because the troll has blocked the door. Yep. The troll tries to flee. The cat kills the troll by batting it into the fan. Uh, and they had the old school metal fans. Yeah. Too. Yeah, the plastic ones like we got today. And so the girl tells how the cat saved her from the troll. The parents... Don't believe her at first, but then they find pieces of the troll's corpse. They, yeah, they find his arm and his that little dagger. Yeah, they find his little dagger, and then they find the hole in the wall that he was coming through. And the next morning, they show the cat sitting in front of a large fish that he's eating. And then he climbs up and is laying on Drew Barrymore's stomach, and she's petting him as she goes to sleep. He's licking her face, and then she wakes up and cuddles him. I'd lick Drew Barrymore's face, too. Well, yeah. Um, maybe not at this point, but <laughs> no, now, no, no, now definitely. definitely. Uh, this thing, maybe she'll hear this and it'll, it'll happen. Maybe. Or I'll get a restraining order. Probably. One of the two. Uh, and hey, whatever happens, we're going to document it. Yeah. We'll frame the restraining order and we'll videotape you licking her face. <laughs> um, so this thing was released theatrically and it grossed, uh, 13 million a little over $13 million. $13,086,000. Um, let's do some trivia, and then we'll see what Mr. Ebert had to say. He probably hated this fucking movie. And so, let's see, trivia-wise. So there was a sto- backstory about the cat, but it got cut out against the director's wishes. How did the director's wishes get overthrown? The studio. Well, studios are fucking stupid too. They don't know anything. They just they they just provide the money. Well, this they they thought that it was too silly to explain why this cat wanted to save this girl, so they put it out there, and a lot of viewers were very confused why these stories, why the cat was in all three stories for one thing, yeah, and why why the stories had anything to do with each other, um. In this one, just like in Tales from the Dark Side, where they had a lot of Romero references, yeah. this one has a lot of Stephen King references. Um, James Woods is watching The Dead Zone. And that was a good show. He just, you know, kind of to himself says, who writes this crap? Uh, the cat is chased by a foaming and bloodied St. Bernard, which Cujo. references Cujo. Um, the cat is almost run over by a red Plymouth Fury. And the bumper sticker says, watch out for me. I am pure evil. I am Christine. And the girl's mother is reading Pet Cemetery. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Uh, 
the police uh, song "Every Breath You Take" is heard in a few places, but the original was too expensive to license, so they made a cover version of it. Oh, no kidding! Yeah, they were going to adapt the short story. Sometimes they come back, but they felt that after they got into it, that story was strong enough to have its own movie. And, and then it did. It did in in ninety one. So in the segment, The Ledge, the crime boss is flipping through a magazine. The magazine is the July 1976 issue of Penthouse, which featured the segment on which the story, The Ledge, was based on. Oh, no shit. So there's a little Easter egg in there that nobody probably got. Um, Drew Barrymore was cast because the producer... Well, Stephen King wrote the script with her in mind. Yeah. And the producer was impressed by her performance in Firestarter. And this is the very first Stephen King film to get a PG-13 rating. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Uh, like I said, the, the uh, Cujo, Christine, and uh, uh, the others were, were referenced... They all came out in 1983. All the films that were referenced came out in 1983, except for Firestarter came out in 84. Um, so there is... That Christine came out in 83, huh? Yeah. I thought it came out later. Nine, uh, eight, yeah, 83. Um, during the showdown with the troll, there's a Muppet Babies balloon in the room. And Frank Welker did voice work on this movie. He was a troll. Yes. He also voiced Kermit, Skeeter, Beaker, and other roles in Muppet Babies. So that that was there was a, a little yeah. tribute to Frank Welker in there. Uh, so, uh, Alan Silve- Silvestri? Silvestri? He's a, he's a composer. Okay. Um... He made the all. It was all synthesizers for the the score for this movie. Yeah, it's very very similar to the music he did for Back to the Future, almost identical. Really? Yeah. So that's that's kind of fun. Interestingly enough, Drew Barrymore plays three roles in this movie. Seriously, she plays the daughter in Quitters Inc. She plays a girl on the television in The Ledge, and then she plays her role as Amanda in The Ledge. Oh, last yeah, segment. no shit. Yeah. So, uh, it's kind of interesting here. Um, let's see what, uh, let's, see, let's Eber, see what yeah, Mr. Eber Dickhead Eber says. Well, let's see. He gave it three stars out of four. That's, you know, that's not terrible for him. Says Stephen King seems to be working his way through the reference books of human phobias, and Cat's Eye is one of his most effective films. Complimentary. Yeah. I'm uh, surprised because everything he usually says is negative, and he hates everything that's been created. He especially horror movies. Um, New York Times said that this is the best screen adaptation of any of King's works since Carrie. Really? Wow. And he said it was. Uh, Extremely clever, stylish, and satisfying. Now, Variety said that they that the three stories don't connect, and efforts to join them do not work. But an excellent roster of ta- of talent does try their very best. I mean, just reading, just when you were reading it, you can tell that they all connected. 
Well, but if they would have told the story about why the cat well, is, if, is, if, is if, doing this, then if, it would have helped. Yeah, if the, if the studio said, yeah, we're just going to cut this part out because otherwise it'll make sense if we ta- if we leave it in, you know. It was probably a fucking budget thing, for one. It may have been. And they said the audience was confused about it. Yeah. It's more confusing if you don't know why the cat is fucking going, trying to get to fucking... Right. Where was she at? She was in North Carolina. North Carolina. And he came from New York. Yeah. It's more confusing as to why the cat's on this fucking journey. Right. Other than he's just seeing this vision of this girl. Yeah. Um, Gene Siskel, Ebert's longtime uh, partner in critic uh, work, he gave it two and a half stars out of four. Well, he sucks. He says the opening story is funny and so fresh that it's a shock and a disappointment to see it come to an end in a half hour. The second story is as dull as can be, and the third is kind of fun. So it all adds up to a better than average entertainment that sags terribly in the middle. Which, I don't agree with that. I think they're all kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, This is about the point where where Siskel was getting... Ebert was bleeding off onto him. Yeah, he was starting to, you know, taint him. He was being toxic. Uh, yeah, overall, people thought that it was one of the best Stephen King movies ever. See, Siskel's not dead. He done. just got tired of Ebert. Yeah, he faked his own death. He faked his own death. He's hanging out with fucking Elvis and Bigfoot. Yeah. And Cobain. Yep. Um... So any anything about this or any of the movies we talked about? So no, far? I mean just just from you talking about, it, I mean it sounded you know I, I like I said it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. Yeah, I think I have it on DVD, and it's one that I I know I've liked. Yeah, it's a it's a fun one, and I like the little troll, and I have a lot of. I people, was scared of that troll when I was a kid. Yeah, well, you were scared of the count when you were a kid too. You shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to learn things. <laughs> He's making me learn. He counts. I don't want to count things. Um, but yeah, the, I, I enjoyed this one. The, tr- I have people all the time though. They, they start talking about this movie and they'll say, it's this little troll that is stealing this girl's breath. And I say, yeah, that's cat's eye. And they go, no, that's not what it was called. It's troll. No, it's not troll. No, troll's a terrible movie. The troll's awesome. Troll two is the terrible. One. Oh, that's right. That's right. Troll has our friend Noah Hathaway in it. Oh yeah. And, uh, uh, troll is a great movie. But everybody says, oh, it's Troll. And I go, no, it's not Troll. That is not the movie Troll. No. It's Cat's Eye. And they'll argue with me. And I'll say, the girl in that movie is Drew Barrymore. And they're like, I don't think so. And I'm like, are you really going to fucking argue with me about this? I know. I know things. Yeah. So, but I, I enjoy it. Uh, I enjoy, actually, all these movies we've talked about. And I enjoy the movies that we're going to talk about in the second half here. Mm-hmm. So let's take a little break. You can go make your bologna sandwich or whatever the fuck you're going to make with peanut butter on it. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I'm not putting peanut butter on my bologna sandwich, though. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pee, me and too. we'll be back. You're not peeing at the same time as me. Again. <laughs> not this time. Don't cross the streams. <laughs> <laughs> After these messages, we'll be right back. John Landis, American Werewolf in London. Steven Spielberg, E.T. Joe Dante, The Howling. 
George Miller, Mad Max. These acclaimed directors take you to another dimension. A journey into a wondrous land whose only boundaries are your imagination. Next stop, the Twilight Zone. Stephen King, originator of Pet Cemetery. <laughs> Arthur Conan Doyle, author of Sherlock Holmes. Michael McDowell, creator of Beetlejuice. George Romero, director of Night of the Living Dead. Now, these four masters of everlasting horror bring to the screen four tales of overwhelming terror. I warned them, but they wouldn't listen. Tales of diabolical fate. You promised you'd never die! Tales of ghastly revenge. Grow, O oh light. Rise, O oh light. Come forth, O oh light. Open his eyes. Tales of ruthless evil. That cat has killed three people in this household. I don't believe this. Kill it, bury it, and bring me its tail. Tales from the dark side. Well, that just about takes care of that, doesn't it? Come, live the nightmare of your choice. <laughs> Tales from the dark side. <laughs> the movie. Look out, because this Halloween, Toys R Us is your Halloween headquarters. <laughs> You'll find every trick or treat under the moon. A monstrous selection of costumes and a dungeon full of decorations. At prices so low, you'll howl. So this Halloween, bring the entire family to Toys R Us for a Halloween selection so huge. It's scary. <laughs> Coming soon. Jolting Tales of Horror. Creep Show. From the author of Carrie, The Shining, and Cujo. And the creator of Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. You'll scream at ghastly ghouls. Cringe at weird kids. And shiver at the doings of evil doctors. This is going to be extremely painful, Mr. Verrill. <laughs> Creepshow will grab you, grow on you, and give you the creeps. <laughs> Oh, this is going to be an entirely new experience. Creep Show. The most fun you'll ever have being scared.
Now it's time for the Pizza Head Show. Hey, everybody! I'm done trick-or-treating, and now I'm gonna go for a stuffed crust pizza at Pizza Hut! Yay! Not yet, Pizza Head. There's one more place to go. Uh, I don't think anyone's home. Sure there is. Oh, trick-or-treat! Hmm, interesting hieroglyphics on this pizza. Ah! Quick, Pizza Head, let's go upstairs. Hey, hey, who is here anyway? It's your host, Count Steve. Oh, nice place. You gotta go. Ah! I want to go to Pizza Hut now! The Count will be happy to give you a lift. See you next time. Boo! During the spookiest time of the year, there are a few guidelines all ghosts and goblins should follow. Always stay on sidewalks. Never go to a stranger's house. And never go out alone. <laughs> sorts of things roam free sorry all these traditions wait wait what you're supposed to keep it lit why ancient tradition putting on costumes i look like i'm five you look great what did we do now we meet our dates jack-o-lanterns why are we here to pay our respects to the dead the halloween school bus massacre Started to protect us, but. Morning, guys. How are you doing down there? Hiding bodies? Nowadays, no one really cares. This one's the lit. What is that? It's them. to begin come along with me look out bear on a brand new adventure <laughs> hello everyone michael b moynihan here zubilee zoo's resident adventurer look out bear i along with my friends paul hello zubaroos and billy welcome to the show have teamed up to bring you an informative and entertaining deep dive into the loving world of zubilee zoo one episode at a time so please buckle up and join us for when you're in zubilee 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 Magic and wonder are waiting for you. So come on with us now and discover the wonder of you. Welcome to Zoomily Zoo. 
That's right, you can listen to the brand new Zoobly Zoo podcast dropping the 1st and the 15th of every month wherever you get your podcasts or at electronicmediacollective.com slash pod. Did you ever watch The Twilight Zone? Boy, they were, they were scary. They were great. I loved it. You, you want to see something really scary? Yeah. Okay, pull the car over. Pull the car over? Okay. <sighs> Scare me. What are you doing? Twilight Zone, the movie. Rated PG. And we are back. So, did you have a good bologna sandwich? I did. That was amazing. Yeah. My bologna. Did it have a first name? Um, yeah. Walmart. Oh, Walmart. <laughs> Walmart brand bologna. That'll make you poop. <laughs> oh, no, dude. It's just like the regular. It's just like the Oscar Mayer Wiener bologna. But it's from Walmart? Yeah. Oh, Walmart okay. brand. It's like, I think it's like two bucks instead of six. <laughs> Oh, that's all right. I, I smart. I shop smart. Shop S smart. I shop S smart. Yeah, very good. So, continuing on with the the yeah. anthology movies, we're gonna Four get into screwhead. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna get into some of the more more popular ones. That and I can say for me, I love all three of these movies that we're gonna talk about. Uh, the first one, probably the most popular of all these anthology movies from back in the day, Flintstones. That was not an anthology horror movie. Should have been. Um, <gasps> Dude, speaking of cartoons that are not horrors, yeah. I am so ready for that Winnie the Pooh thing to come out. Oh, I know. That looks so great. Uh, yeah, the, the blood and honey. Yes. yes it looks amazing. Uh, I, I, yeah. So, this one, probably one of the, the, the more popular uh, anthology horror movies ever made, I would say. Uh, Creepshow. Creepshow is a horror comedy anthology. This was released in 1982, directed by George Romero and Stephen King. And they're a great combination together. They really are. Um, now, just the cover art is very iconic. In when you'd go like to the the video store, yeah, and you would always see you know all the box covers that were sitting out. Mm-hmm. This one always intrigued me. And like, you know, you remember, I was never, uh, I didn't watch a lot of horror when I was a kid. So I was always intrigued by it. And this, you know, the the skeleton at the ticket window of the theater, you know, and it says this is the most fun you'll ever have being scared. I I was drawn to that. That was one of them that I was always drawn to. Yeah, that's the best thing about when we go to the movie or go to the, like, blockbuster. Yeah. I would go off and do my find my own movies, mm-hmm. and my mom never knew what I got. Oh yeah! So I would grab like, say like this, or Nightmare on Elm Street or something. Yeah. And she would just grab it and didn't really pay attention to what I had. Right. Because she didn't because they didn't have the the movie covers on the yeah it was just a, a yeah. video cassette yeah. Um, or you'd pull a card out of the back and just take the card up to mm-hmm. them and you never knew what it was. Um. But yeah, this just the the art on the cover. It kind of sets the tone for the movie. It makes you want to watch that movie. Uh, and that and that was kind of the anymore the the movie posters they don't really 
make you want to watch a movie. Back Not anymore. The, they all look the fucking same now. Yeah, back in the eighties, man, it told a story. You know, just that that movie poster or the the cover of the of the the videotape really told a story. Well, it's like you look at them now, dude. You got like all the Marvel movies. Oh, they all look the same. They all look exactly the same. They all look like the fucking Star Wars movies when they redid the movies. Yep. Yep. Every one of them. Uh, but Creep Show, like I said, it came out in '82. Um, this cast, a really an amazing cast. Uh, was Don Knotts in it? Uh, Don Knotts was not. E.G. Marshall was in it. He's okay. a, a classic television actor. Uh, it had uh, Carrie Nye. She was a, a, another actress that was uh, you know, television. Hal Holbrook. Um, and Hal I Ho- love him. Yeah, Hal Holbrook was was awesome. Um, Adrian Barbeau was in this. Also, when she was still hot. Yeah, I'm Adrian young. Barbeau. Um, She's, you know, I, Rizzo I like, from Greece. I like Rizzo from Greece. That well, that's Adrian Barbeau. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Ted Danson and Leslie Nielsen. Oh yeah. Um, this is Leslie Nielsen when he was. This is a serious role for Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, yeah, he was played an asshole. So what Creepshow was, was an homage to the uh, EC horror comics of the 50s, like Tales from the Crypt, The Vault of Horror, and The Haunt of Fear. And so they wanted to give a kind of a comic book feel to it. And they did that. Yeah, well, and the way that they did it is Romero hired his longtime collaborator, Tom Savini, to do comic-like effects. And they also had the pages of the comic book would flip. Yeah, that's right. You notice how nobody was around mm-hmm. when we took a break? Yep. <laughs> so, everything about it had a very comic book. Even even when the, the creeper came to the window and was looking in the window... The kid was reading a comic book. And it was cartoonish. And it was very cartoonish. And then it would go to a cartoon frame, and then the action would morph, and they would do the action. And then it would go back to that cartoon frame and back into, you know, whatever the next story was. The comic book pages would flip, yeah. and you'd see the ads for the x-ray glasses or the the hovercraft, the giant floating eyeball, or whatever the fuck they sold in comic books back then. Remember this shit they used to have to get, used to get kids to try to sell junk so you can get all these fucking cool toys. Grit magazine is one thing that they sold. Yeah. Um, and I I re- I remember reading Grit magazine just a couple of times, and I always was like, I want to do this because you can get like all this really you can get a life size Frankenstein poster. Oh yeah, and it was like six foot tall. It's like. You know damn well that monster was taller than six fucking foot tall. Frankenstein was like seven feet. Well, the Dr. Frankenstein? No, he was like probably 5'8". Oh, yeah, he was a short guy. The monster, and Igor was shorter because he had the hump. He did. And what, then, what hump? Yeah, what hump? And, and then... Uh, uh, walk this way. Uh, walk this way. But yeah, you got all that crazy shit. So, as we have uh, Creepshow playing now, that's Tom Atkins from Halloween 3 playing the father, the asshole father. He was also in Body Bags. He was also in um, Night of the Creeps. So, to start off, okay, so young Billy Hopkins is disciplined by his abusive father for reading a creep show horror comic. He doesn't want his son exposed to that kind of content, 
so he throws it away in the garbage. Billy goes upstairs and wishes that his father would rot in hell, and he hears a sound at the window. The sound is the creep, who is the host of these comic books. He's rapping at the window door. The he window. beckons the boy to come closer to the window, and then he removes the trash can's lid, and the pages blow open, and the, sh- the movie starts. The very first segment, Father's Day. I can honestly say I believe I love every single story in this. Uh-huh. So Father's Day, everybody, even if you haven't watched this movie, you know this story. You know something about this story. It's uh, the family gets together and they are trying to get uh, they're, they're, they're going to get for the reading of a will. Oh, yeah, that's right. And uh, they end up killing the father, right? Yep. And then they fast forward many years. She stops by the cemetery, the family cemetery outside of the mansion to lay flowers on the father's grave because the father's always very demanding. You know, he, 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 on Father's Day, he wants a cake and... He's had a stroke, and he wants the daughter to be his nurse and all this. Well, they orchestrate that big hunting accident where the the uh, fiancé, he kills the fiancé. Yep. The father does. So the daughter ends up murdering him. Well, she smacks him on the head with the uh, marble ashtray. That happens. And that marble ashtray is hidden throughout the movie in the rest of the stories. Oh, no shit. Yeah, it's a little Easter egg. Um, so, yeah, she stops by to lay flowers on his grave on Father's Day. And they uh, are hanging out at the, at the mansion. I, I thought it was for the reading of a will, but maybe it's not. Maybe they're just getting together. Anyhow, she ends up spilling whiskey on the headstone. And about that time, here comes the father out of the grave, all maggot-infested, and he's demanding his Father's Day cake that he never got. That's right. And he ends up strangling the daughter, and he kills the rest of the family. He crushes... He he uses telekinesis to crush one of the other family members with a gravestone. Uh, He twists another one's neck, and then he kills the cook just to cover his tracks. Kind of look how young... uh, What's his name? Who? That dude. Oh, yeah, that's um, the guy from RoboCop. No. Isn't it? The bad guy from RoboCop? No. That was Red Foreman. Oh. That is? No. That dude... Fuck's his name. Hold on. I don't... I haven't even seen a cast on here yet. Here we go. Um, John Lormer? No. William Shook? Might be William Warner Shook? Shook? Might be Warner Shook. Or Ed Harris? That's Ed Harris. Ed Harris. That's okay. who that is. Okay. Yeah, he's young because I didn't recognize him. Um, but he uh, he ends up he comes in with his with his Father's Day cake and it's his daughter's head on a platter covered in frosting with candles on it. That's I think that's the greatest cake a father could get. And you no, see, <laughs> well, but you see the uh, that image. I know I posted every Father's Day. Yeah, a lot of people post that, but you see that image everywhere, and people. When they see the image, they don't even know what movie it's from, but they'll say, I want my cake. 
you know, I got my they cake. Know, but they know the, the saying. They know the saying, they know the scene and all of that. And it's like, you know, wow, that, that's transcended into, you know. TikTok. Common, common <laughs> you know, just everyday pop culture, even with people that aren't fans of horror movies. So I think that's kind of cool. Um, this is a great story, I feel. Uh, and just the way that they tell the story where they're using comic book panes and the, yep. you know, like the POW shapes. The bat- almost Batman-esque. Batman-esque shapes. And uh, that when they break away to do a flashback, it's in a little comic book pane. Um, and the colors of this one in particular, but most of them, they remind me of like what Rob Zombie does now. Yeah. Where he uses those very bright colors, especially like in the monsters that he just did, very bright comic booky colors. Which people there was there people were very yes or no about that. Yeah, yeah. People who loved it or hated it, um, but he uses like combinations of green, red, and purple, yeah. which don't really match. They jump out, at but each they other. really clash with each other, and they give it a comic book feel. They do that in this movie and this scene in particular. Um. The next one, The Lonesome Death of Jody Varel. I don't remember this one. I don't know what, what you will. So Jody Varel, played by Stephen King. Oh, yes. He's just kind of a, a backwoods, hillbilly type. He sees a meteorite crash on his farm. That's Oh, that's right. And he goes and investigates it and tries to touch it, gets his fingers burned. Then he kind of fantasizes that he can sell the meteorite to the local college's department of meteors. And he hopes that selling the meteor will provide him enough money to pay off a $200 bank loan. So he douses the meteor with buckets of water because it's already burned him. Yep. And because it cools down, it cracks and this blue liquid comes out. And that makes him look at it and say, whoa, meteor shit. Which I love that quote. Uh, Stephen King is great. I love when he appears in in a movie. And this is one of the rare times that he is featured. Usually he's like the minister or Or the taxi driver driver or some shit. Yeah, something like that. It's just a a cameo. Like like he was a bus driver, I think, in It, wasn't he? I think so. Or the librarian or something. Yeah. Uh, In uh, Pet Cemetery, he was the minister at the funeral. Um, But yeah, he always has just a little bit part. At like just like Stan Lee would do, yeah. And I, this is one of the rare times that he is actually in a featured role, and it's it's awesome. Um, but anyway, so the, the the blue stuff comes out of the meteor. So then he imagines that now the Department of Meteors does not want to buy the meteor because it's broken. Well, so stupid. he's going to go glue it back together, and so he uh, he takes it back to his little shack. And all of a sudden... And he's just this big old stupid hillbilly guy. Too. Yeah, wearing bib overalls and, and just, you know. Um, all of a sudden, this grass starts to grow out of his fingers where he oh, touched the yeah, meteor. that's right. And he tries... He's going to call a doctor, but then he... His mind starts thinking, and he thinks the doctor's going to try to chop his fingers off without using any anesthesia. So he doesn't. Well, where this... He's dribbled this blue shit all over his farm. More of this grass is growing all over the farm. And everything he's touched is growing grass. 
Pretty soon he starts to itch, and he's itching, and wherever he itches, grass is growing. Uh, he starts to panic because there's all this shit, you know, grass, weed thing growing everywhere. So he tries to calm himself down by making himself a drink. He makes a screwdriver, gets drunk, and he falls asleep. Uh, he's waking up later, and he thinks that he's had a dream. But then he sees that all this plants and all this shit is growing inside of his house. And then he looks into the mirror and he sees that he has a green beard. Yeah. So he thinks he's itching. This stuff's making him itch. He needs to take a bath. So at that point, he's visited by the ghost of his dead father, who tells him not to get in the water because that's what the plants want. And then all of a sudden he realizes that he can't really get out of it. And... He decides that, you know, he's itching so bad, he just jumps in the bathwater. Next morning, farm's completely covered in vegetation. Weird alien grass. Yes, weird alien grass. Jordy <clears throat> is now a human plant. He's covered in this green grass. He grabs a shotgun. He prays that... Uh, he can he he prays that his luck will be right in this one, and he blows the top of his head off. And it's all green, and yeah, it's all green, and it's a big green splatter. Yeah, and then you hear the TV forecast say that uh, heavy rains are predicted. So obviously, this uh, grass is going to grow everywhere take and over the take over the planet. Great segment. Yeah, and Stephen King really makes this because. Stephen King's not a, a dumb man. No. But he plays a dumb man very well. And just that line. He plays a good redneck. He really does, and that's surprising. Uh, just that line of where he says, Meteor shit. I love that line. Meteor shit. So the third one. Something to tide you over. I just uh, had that. Yeah, you had a bologna sandwich, and you got, you got a damn quesadilla, too. From my kid. Yeah. From my nephew. Yeah. Uh, so, Richard Vickers, he's a, a heartless millionaire, and he just is kind of an ass, kind of a violent man. Um, he's played by Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, this is a good story. This whole story's fucked up. Yes. Uh, he... Uh, he visits Harry Wentworth, who's played by Ted Danson, and Galen Ross plays Becky Vickers. And the idea here is that Leslie Nielsen's character is having an affair with uh, Galen Ross's character, yep. who is married to Ted Danson's character. So they, you know, he's he's trying to keep this this. Uh, he feels that he feels that she never cared for him. Yeah, she just had a fling with him, and so he kidnaps her. And then he takes Ted Danson. He kidnaps Ted Danson, takes him out to the beach, and buries him all the way up to his head, all the way up to his neck, in, in sand. Makes him dig his own hole, even. And then he sets a TV up that shows that his wife is buried somewhere else in the sand. And if he doesn't dig, if he doesn't dig, he's going to shoot him. Yeah, he's going to shoot him, and then. Uh, he wants he wants to keep you know uh, 
the wife. He, you know, Leslie Nielsen's character wants yeah. this man's wife. And so the guy won't agree to it, and he's waiting for high tide. So eventually high tide comes in, and he can see on the video screen that uh, that his wife is already buried, buried, and tide's coming in, splashing against her face and all of that. And Leslie Nielsen sits back at the mansion and has a cocktail and is watching as they slowly drown. And just before Ted Danson's character drowns, he looks right into the camera that's on him and he says he's going to get revenge. So later... It doesn't, doesn't like, he start glowing? Yeah. Right before he dies? Yeah, I think so. Well, later, uh, Leslie Nielsen goes back to get the videotapes and he can't find the guy. He thought the body was just carried away by the tide. But then he hears voices calling his name. And he keeps looking at all of the video surveillance, but he can't see anybody. And turns out that the two people he has killed have come back as seaweed-covered, drowned corpses. And then look nothing like them. No, not at all. I mean, they look like they were decayed. Yes. And under salt water for weeks. So they take Leslie Nielsen out to the beach, bury him up to his neck, and leave him there to die. And this is where the funny line comes in. Leslie Nielsen screaming, I can hold my breath for a long, long time. Because, yeah, that's going to happen. Yeah. You know, you're going to hold your breath while the tide comes in that has already drowned two people. Idiot. But fun segment, Leslie Nielsen, he doesn't do anything bad. No, he doesn't. He, he's awesome. Just don't call him Shirley. Do not call him Shirley. Uh, the well, next he used to do serious movies until he started doing The Naked Gun. Oh, yeah. And he was in, like, Forbidden Planet. Yeah. Yeah, he was a serious horror actor. I think he did some westerns as well. Yeah. Uh, but And then he did The Naked Gun. Then he became a comedy actor. And His career I, just went blew well, up. Well, I mean, he had a resurgence. Yeah. Um, so the, the next one is The Crate. This is a fun one. Oh, this is a good one. So, uh... Is it tiny? Uh, fluffy. 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 Uh, there's a guy that's a janitor at a university. Um, he finds a wooden crate that has been shipped there from an Arctic expedition from June 19th, 1834. It's hidden under this staircase. So he tells one of the professors about it, and... Uh, they have like a uh, uh, they have like a gathering that they're gonna see what's what's up with this crate. They have like a meeting. Yeah, and they move the crate into the biology lab and they try to get it open. And in the process, one of the guys sticks his hand in the crate and gets bitten, and so you know, he's yelling in pain. So the crate opens up and. This huge ape-like creature with sharp fangs comes out. It's not very big, but it does kill and devour a man, just leaving his boot. Yeah. So the, the other guy runs, tells he bumps into a, a student, and he's trying to tell him what happened. Then the student wants to go investigate. Well, they find the lab is completely covered in blood and no sign of the creature or the crate. It's all back, it's back underneath the stairs. The crate's back under the stairs, along with the man's boot. So they want to measure the bite marks on the boot. So as they investigate the crate closer, 
Fluffy pounces again on that uh, student and kills him. And the guy, other guy, <laughs> runs away and grabs a boot and takes off. So he's at home. He's traumatized. He's trying to tell his wife what happened. And he tell uh, he tells everybody everything, you know, what happened. Or he tries to tell the, the other guy what happened, yeah. another, another man, after his wife leaves. And... They think he's crazy, so they, they go back over there. Yeah, they, they said this monster has to be disposed of somehow. And so this guy decides that this creature would be a great way to kill his wife. So he appears to believe the story. And then he spikes this man's drink with sleeping pills. And uh, he brings his wife to the place where the... Uh, into the lab. He's cleaned the lab up. It's not bloody. And he lures his wife to the uh, basement stairs, tries to awaken the creature, and his wife is complaining because they're at this lab in the middle of the night. And the monster wakes up and eats her. So the next morning, he says that the beast is secured back inside the crate. He's dumped the crate into a nearby quarry and watched it sink to the bottom of the lake. The creature has drowned, and they're going to let the authorities handle the disappearances. However, the creature is still alive and is last seen tearing the submerged crate apart. Yep. The end. Fluffy. Fluffy is one of the most popular characters. Yes. Fluffy's awesome. Yes. And then the last story in this is uh, a man who suffers from... He's kind of a, a germaphobe. Uh, he has oh, OCD and he's yeah. a germaphobe. So he has sealed himself inside of his apartment. He has surveillance cameras, electronic locks, and the only way that he will talk to anyone is via a telephone outside of the door, and he can talk to him on the inside, like a jail yeah. visit. Um, so he gets a call that there has been a corporate takeover of his company, and the uh, business rival has committed suicide. Well, while this call is taking place, he starts to see these cockroaches in his apartment. And these apartment. are the big Madagascar. Yeah, the giant ones. Not the ones you see. Like I mean, these are like these make the ones in New York look like look like they're ants. Yes. Um. So he hates bugs. So he arms himself with bug spray to kill them. And pretty soon somebody calls him, and it's uh, the man who committed suicide's wife, you know, widow, who is telling him about her husband's final moments and curses him for causing the death. So then he, the guy finds pieces of cockroach in his food processor. And then he gets a call from his building superintendent, uh, and... He forces this man to send the handyman over with an exterminator, or he's going to fire him. So apparently he owns the building. Yeah. Um, <coughs> discovers more cockroaches in food, trying to crush any cockroach that he finds. And they say that they've called a fumigation service, but then there's a blackout and the power goes out. During the blackout, the cockroaches start pouring out of every... Because it's dark now. Yep. They start pouring out of every little crack in... Crack anywhere that crevice. they can. Yes. 
and they overwhelm him as he's activating the emergency power and he tries to call the police, but the police cannot do anything because of the blackout and the other gentleman is stuck in the elevator. So the guy goes to his panic room and he's trying to escape the cockroaches and he gets another call from the widow who continues to curse at him. And during this phone call, he notices that the covers of the bed that he's in are wiggling and he flips the covers back and there are cockroaches in the panic room. He cannot get out of the panic room, so he has a heart attack. And the electricity returns. There are no cockroaches in the apartment. Uh, the corpse is in the panic room. And so, you know, when they try to get a hold of him, he won't respond. And the guy says, what's the matter? Bugs got your tongue? And pretty soon, the, the body starts to mouth. wiggle, yeah. and cockroaches burst out of the mouth and chest and envelop the panic room. And that's a good. This is a good story. I yeah. Like this one. So the guy is killed by bugs. Yeah. Which is pretty awesome. Uh, so the way that this movie ends, the next morning there are two garbage collectors and they find that creep show comic book in the trash, and they're looking at the ads for the X-ray specs and the Charlie Atlas bodybuilding course. Remember that's that? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie Atlas. Um, they see the advertisement for the voodoo doll in there, and they are upset because the order form has already been removed. Well, inside the house, the young boy, you know, the, the dad is, is complaining he's got a stiff neck, thinks he strained it. Upstairs, the young boy has a voodoo doll, has put a piece of his father's clothing and some hair on it, and pretty soon the dad is clutching his throat, saying that it hurts, and the kid's stabbing the voodoo doll with a pin. So he's getting revenge on his father for being an asshole. And then the creep reappears, holding the comic book, and they blow the candle out. So, um, I believe that in this, uh, Tom Savini plays one of the garbage men. Yeah. Just as his little... Uh, cameo that he often does. So my favorite Tom Savini cameo is still in From Dusk Till Dawn. Sex Machine. Yes, so that's a pretty good one. So, Creep Show, like I said, it, it came out November tenth, nineteen eighty two. Opening weekend, it grossed five million eight hundred seventy thousand eight hundred eighty eight dollars. It was number one at the box office, and it actually. Knocked First Blood off the number one spot. Really? Yes. Uh, this is the highest growing, grossing horror film for the Warner Brothers studio in 1982. Grossing $21,028,755 in the U.S. and Canada alone. Holy shit. So, do you want to know what yeah, Roger Ebert... fucking Ebert say? Three out of four stars. Yeah, that's not bad. I'm, you know, he just... Doing all right today. He said Romero and King have approached this movie with humor and affection, as well as a, an appreciation for the macabre. Surprising, because he does not like horror movies. No, he don't like he don't like anything actually. No, uh, the, he, he must have been drinking this day. He might have. The New York Times says that the best things about Creepshow are the, the carefully simulated comic book tackiness and the gusto in which some good actors assume silly positions. Horror film purists may object to the levity, even though they failed, as a lot of this is. So they said it was a failure. 
Uh, they don't know shit. A lot, of, a lot of they said it was stale. They said that it was, at least they had the the, the horror. It had the cynicism, but it had some humor, and it almost doesn't feel like a Stephen King or George Romero film. And they say it's it's almost as funny and as horrible as the filmmakers clearly wanted it to be. So they admit that yeah, that's what that was the angle they were going. Yeah. For. You're watching two. Basically, you're watching two masters of horror make a funny movie based on horror. Which, <coughs> at this time, horror comedies weren't a big thing. No. Um, so I, I really enjoy it. Bravo said that it has the number 99th spot on their 100 scariest movie moments, mostly for the scene where the cockroaches burst out of the body. That is pretty freaky. Yeah. So. This thing, it uh, was adapted into a comic book. I think it was a comic first. Wasn't it? Uh, well, it was based on comic books, but there was actually a creep show comic book that oh. came out. Um, Tales from the Dark Side was a television spinoff of this, and George Romero was involved in that. Uh, I didn't and know Tales from the Dark Side was a spinoff. Yeah, it was a spin- well, it just the the way that the the episodes were filmed. Yeah, it's very reminiscent of how these little segments are. Uh, in 2019, Universal Studios, uh, the Universal Parks, yeah, they made a creep show, Holly, uh, Halloween Horror Nights. Oh, nice! Which that would have been amazing. And then they made two more from the the new series that is on Shutter. Yep, they made two more uh, mazes there. Um, and yeah, creep show just a couple years ago, was made into a, a new television series produced by Greg, Nic- Greg Nicotero. It was streamed on Shudder. Each episode had two stories. And a lot of the original cast came back. And Oh, nice. A lot of what you would call legendary horror actors. Yeah. Like Tobin Bell from Saw. He had a role. You saw a lot of people that jumped on board with this because it was so good. Which, but I don't think it lasted. No, I think it lasted two seasons. I don't think Shudder... I, I don't think they picked it up again. No. So let's Which see. sucks, because you got all these good shows that only last like a season or two. I think that's the attention span of today's audience, though. Yeah. So, here's some trivia. So you know how we said that Leslie Nielsen's scenes were very serious in this? Yeah. Well... He kept a fart machine in, in his pocket during shooting. Oh my god! And while they were rehearsing, he would uh, let you know hit the button and fart. Yeah. And just before George Romero would call action, he would hit it and cause the crew to crack up and delay delay the uh, uh, filming. So he was still being funny. Rice Krispies were used as maggots on the corpse's eye oh, in the no Father's shit. Day story. Yeah. In addition, they also used real maggots. Um, what else do we have here? Like I said, that marble ashtray that was in the very first segment yep. was shown in all five segments. And the wraparound story. No shit. Yeah. The ashtray was on the little boy's desk when he was stabbing the voodoo doll. Oh, fuck. In the end. Stephen King was told to play his role as Jordy. Just like Wiley e. Coyote in the way he looks when he goes off a cliff, 
Which I think he nailed it. Oh, yeah, dude. This is the only George Romero film to open up at number one. Really? Yeah. <coughs> Which is interesting. Fluffy, from the creature from the crate, yep. was the first fully animatronic creature that Tom Savini ever created. And it's sitting in his house. That it is. Uh, he spent over an hour and a half on the phone with Rod with Rob Botton, who did the thing, the Howling and Total Recall, yep. getting advice on how to build it. Uh, during a break in filming, Stephen King took his son to a McDonald's, and as a joke, his son, Joe, was made up with bruises, cuts, and scabs. Oh my God! The girl at the drive-through window called the police. <laughs> Stephen King also had an allergic reaction to the makeup he had to wear, uh, and he had to get shots and medication so that the work would be bearable. Holy shit. Um, so on... Because uh, yeah, it looks like it was just latex and... Looks like that... Some food coloring. Yeah, and maybe uh, like... Some of that fake grass that you Fake grass or hair. Or something. Yeah. yeah. Um... So maybe he's got a latex allergy. That's possible. I don't know. We should look into that. I'm going to write a letter. Yeah, write, write, a, write a letter to Stephen King. Do you have a latex allergy? Like, fucking weirdo? <laughs> well, yeah. Maybe I do. <laughs> maybe. But why, fun, why, yes, I do. Thank you for asking. What business is it of yours? <laughs> or maybe you'll diagnose me. Like, I, I have wondered all these years, almost 40 years, I have wondered... <laughs> And it was a latex allergy. Thank you. Thank you, Corey from Omaha. <laughs> <laughs> you are a true fan. You're a true fan. You're, you're really concerned about me. Now kindly go fuck yourself. <laughs> Where'd you get my address? I would love that, dude. <laughs> Stevie Team told me to go fuck myself. So in the, uh, in the beginning, where the father is not wanting the son to read the comic because of the content. Yeah. The father's actually reading a pornographic magazine. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, most of the creatures on the film had nicknames. So the creature in the crate we know is Fluffy. Yep. The skeleton in the window, the creeper, yeah. is Raul. 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 He looks like a Raul. And there's a sign pointing the way to Castle Rock, which is Stephen King's trademark town that he uses in all of his stories and that's at the very end of the uh the jody varel tale okay with stephen king stephen king carried a toy figure of the character greedo from star wars on the set for good luck but greedo dies (laughs) (laughs) i know so does stephen king in this movie um this is the only film where George Romero didn't write the entire screenplay. And it, they used the same crew, exactly the same crew that was used for Sleepaway Camp. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Uh, so John Amplis. John Amplis is in a lot of uh, George Romero's movies. Yeah. He, was, he played the title character in Martin. He was a scientist in... Uh, Day of the Dead. He is in most of his films. Night, he was in Night Riders. Um, That's a good movie too. He actually 
plays the zombie in Father's Day that wants the cake. Oh, no shit. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the idea that, that Fluffy came from the Arctic is a tribute, possibly a tribute, to John Carpenter's The Thing. thing. Yeah. Um, they say possibly. And the segment, Something to Tide You Over, is almost identical to a story we already talked about. The Ledge from Cat's Eye. Yep. Uh, wealthy man forces his wife's lover to risk his life for his amusement. So, there's that. Nice. So, Leslie Nielsen was the husband in that. And Ted Danson was the oh, one having the affair. okay. Um... So, Stephen King's actual son is the young boy in this. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Um, I guess you can see it in the smile. Yeah. Um, Castle Rock, five miles. Right there it is. Yeah. Castle Rock. They're only five miles away, so they must be in Maine. Yeah. But that says Portland and Boston. Oregon. Port- Portland, Maine. Oh, yeah. And Boston, Massachusetts. So, the... This film was so successful, it did spawn two sequels. The third of which isn't really, it's worth just saying, there's a third creep show. Yeah. It's not good, and it did not have the blessing or involvement of Romero or Stephen King. So, that kind of tells you it doesn't live up to, yeah. you know, this. Uh Creepshow 2 came out in 87, and it was directed by Michael Gornick, who had done cinematography for... I, I, I had to talk to this guy uh, years ago, and he was very interesting. He did cinematography for a lot of Romero's films, but especially Creepshow. Yeah. Uh, I believe he did uh, uh, Day of the Dead, and I know he did Martin. The cinematography, that's just... Camera. Cam- okay. Yeah, he, ran, he, he was the director of, of photography. Um, so this one has, uh, the idea is that there's a man on delivery truck and Billy, the young boy is following the truck with his bike and the back door opens up and the creep is in there. The creep drops off the latest issue of the creep show comic. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, Billy grabs an issue and starts to read it. So. Here are the stories. The first one is Old Chief Woodenhead. I do like this one. Now, back then, they would have wooden carved statues of Native Americans outside of cigar stores. And there was this giant statue that they named Old Chief Woodenhead. And they... uh, they find out, like, the, the some of the members of the local Native American tribe stop at this store, and they give a big bag of turquoise jewelry, which would be the sacred treasures of the tribe, as a collateral for some debt that has happened. And later that night, this store is robbed by a family member of the store's owner. And in the struggle, um, 
the the elderly wife is killed accidentally by her nephew. So the man shoots and kills one of the members of this little gang that's robbing the store. And these are Native American kids that are robbing the store, aren't they? No, no, no. It's it's uh, opposite. Yeah, it's uh, okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It's the uh, the Native American. Um. It's the Native American guy. The guy that dropped off the jewelry. Yeah. It is his nephew. And so the guy's gun goes off and fires and kills the wife of the shop owner. So the the uh, nephew shoots and kills the shop owner as well. Grabs the jewels and runs away. As they leave, old Chief Woodenhead comes to life and goes after him. Yep. He shoots one of them with multiple arrows, slaughters one of them with a tomahawk, and uses a hunting knife to scalp Sam, the nephew. The next morning, Benjamin, the man who dropped the jewelry off, wakes up to find the jewelry on his bed. He visits the store, and old Chief Woodenhead is back on the porch, holding Sam's bloody scalp and a bloodstained knife. That's right, and he can't get it out because it's in the hand. Because it's in the wooden hand. I I enjoy this story, although it might be deemed a little culturally inappropriate now. Yeah, um, it's it's a it's just a fun story, saying don't screw around, you know. You don't fucking steal from people, right? Uh, so then there's they have these little interludes, and so the next interlude, young boy Billy receives a package at the post office, and it's. Something that he had bought from one of the comics. It is a starter bulb for a Venus flytrap. So he pays for the product, the package, and, and takes off. And the creep appears behind the post office counter, and the story goes to the next one. It was POD? What? what was it POD? Or, uh... Uh, yeah, pay, pay it on delivery? Yeah. Yeah, COD. Cash COD. On, cash on delivery. Um, the next one is The Raft. The Raft is a fun one. Four college students, they go to a lake far from civilization to have some fun. So they, Sex. They, yeah, that's what they're going out there for. They see a wooden raft out in the middle of the lake, so they all swim out there. They're going to fuck. And as they're swimming out there, there's oh, a, yeah. a duck that gets pulled under the water. And once they're all out on the raft, they find out what the one boy is so scared of. There's a black blob-like creature resembling an oil slick floating on the water. So one of the girls leans over to try to touch it, and it grabs her and pulls her into the lake and eats her. So the other three are freaking out. Did you see that shit? I think I said it to you. It was a AI blob thing that they stick in people's bodies now. Oh, yeah, yeah. I see now. I was like, did you guys fucking learn anything from movies? Right? No shit. That's where the blob came from. It was created by man. Yeah. And now they got one. Now they got one. So these three kids that are left, they're freaking out because they find out that it's the off season and there is no one to rescue them. There's nobody around at this lake. They almost be like a resort or something. So the one guy decides that he thinks he can swim to shore fast enough 
to go get help. So he takes off the blob, or he gets ready to take off. The blob comes up through the cracks of the raft, grabs him by the foot, and pulls him through the raft, killing him. Noting that the creature is still hungry, the other two manage to evade the creature as it tries to grab them from under the raft. When night falls, they take turns watching for the creature and eventually fall asleep in each other's arms. The next morning, the one discover the guy discovers that the girl's still alive. They haven't been watching the creature. And so he starts kissing and caressing this girl as she's asleep. She wakes up screaming and finds out that since he laid her down on the raft, the creature has come up and grabbed her. It's covered half of her face. And the blob pulls her off the raft and starts eating her. So the guy jumps off the raft to swim. He barely makes it and he shouts, I beat you. But the creature rears up from the water like a wave and engulfs him. The blob returns to the lake, leaving no evidence of the students other than their discarded clothes and still running car. Holy shit. And then they pan back and they show that there's a sign that has, is being obscured by a tree that says, no swimming. Oh, fuck. There's a reason for that. Yes. So, uh, they go back to the wraparound story and the young boy on his way home is ambushed by a gang of local bullies and they take his package, they find the Venus flytrap and they crush it with their foot. And for retaliation... Oh, Billy kicks the bully in the groin and flees as the other bullies race after him. Good for him. After, after Billy escapes, the creep appears from behind a tree and goes on to tell the last story, which is the hitchhiker. Oh, yeah. So the hitchhiker, uh, lady, it, it's kind of a, a common theme. There's at least one story of an affair. Yeah. Well, this, is, this lady's having an affair. And she gets out of bed after she sleeps with her gigolo lover. I love it. He's a the gigolo. gigolo. Yeah. He's the gigolo. Everywhere I, go, everywhere I go, people know the part I'm playing. Okay, so a gigolo, if you don't know, is a male escort or social companion who is supported by a person in a continuing relationship, often living in her residence or be having to be present for anything she wants. So David Lee Roth was a male prostitute? That's what he's saying. Um, so good for him. This lady realizes she only has 15 minutes before her attorney husband arrives home. So she jumps into her car and takes off for home. She, uh, drops a cigarette, loses control on a slippery corner where she runs down a hitchhiker. She sees that there were no witnesses. So she takes off and doesn't look back. But shortly after she leaves, the area is uh, crowded with a truck driver and a couple of passers-by, and uh, they they report the hit-and-run to the police. Yep. So she gets miles down the road. She's thinking about what she did, and she wants to turn herself in, but then she decides that nobody has anything on her, and everything's going to be fine, and all of a sudden the hitchhiker appears outside of her widow, or window and says, Thanks for the ride, lady. And he repeats this line throughout the story. She speeds off in terror, but he reaches through the sunroof and grabs her. She drives off the road through the woods where she knocks the hitchhiker off the roof and uh, with a low-hanging branch. But the hitchhiker appears again, opens the door to the passenger seat. She shoots him with a revolver multiple times and fails to kill him. She manages to kick him out of the car and run him over repeatedly. The hitchhiker climbs onto the roof, holds up a sign that says Dover, 
But it, you know, he had a, he had a sign that said Dover. Yeah, because that's where he was going. But now it reads, "You killed me." She loses control of the car again, drives off the road, down a hill, into a tree, repeatedly slams the hitchhiker into the tree, and she knocks herself out. Later, she wakes up. She uh, does not see the hitchhiker anywhere, believes that she just had a nightmare, so she drives back up onto the road and drives home, getting there just before her husband. And as she All this be- within 15 minutes. Yes. That's crazy. And as she steps out of her car... The hitchhiker's all mangled, and he says, Hey, thanks for the ride, lady. And he crawls out from under the car and attacks her. The garage door shuts and begins to fill with smoke. <coughs> Later, George arrives home, finds Annie in her car still running, dead from carbon monoxide poisoning, and there is a bloody sign that says Dover sitting on her lap. Fun story. That is a fun story. Bend over. So... They go to the wraparound story, and the creep is preparing to drive away. He says goodbye to the audience. Then he sees Billy being chased by the bullies. Uh, Billy leads the gang into a vacant lot, swarming with out-of-control plant growth. Call back to Creep Show 1, the Stephen King story. The bulb that Rhino smashed was not the first one Billy had ordered. A quintet of giant Venus flytraps emerged from the surrounding weeds and devour all of the thugs. The creep cackles in glee and drives off to deliver the lazy issue of Creep Show to the next town. So the creep is Tom Savini in makeup. Oh, no shit. Yes. Uh, this thing, while it wasn't as great... It's still a good movie. Yeah, it's still a, gr- a good movie. It wasn't as great as part one, but it's still a good movie. And Stephen King had a cameo in this... In that last story we talked about, the hitchhiker, he was the truck driver that stopped. Um, so, this film was supposed to have five stories. But, one was going to be called Pinfall, and the second was going to be called The Cat from Hell. They were cut from the film due to budgets. The Cat from Hell was used in Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Yep. Uh, Pinfall... It uh, was going to be <coughs> it was going to be about a bowling alley that was owned by an old millionaire who was killed in a freak accident, and all the bowling teams found out later that he was going to award them five million dollars to to whoever got the highest score. And soon things turned up, you know that. Uh, uh, they were all killed in a fiery car crash. The, the, the one team was killed in a fiery car crash. Yeah. And so the other team won. And then the team that was killed showed up, Isn't this just something burned up, back? and they got their revenge. So that was never that never appeared in any film. That would have been sometimes they come back. They did. They tried to make it... Uh, they were going to put it in the sequel for Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, but that movie never happened. Yeah. Um, and one of the actors in the segment The Raft nearly died of hypothermia because the water was too cold. Oh, no shit. The crew wanted him to continue working, but the director took him to the hospital 
and they feared he would never return to set if they forced him to continue working. But he recovered, and he finished the segment. Nice. Uh, let's see. Did uh, <coughs> your buddy say anything about this movie? I probably hated it. Actually, he's doing pretty good today. He has said nothing about it. Oh. Um, but other, other uh, critics said that it wasn't... It felt unfinished. Yeah. Uh, they were marginally interesting. Each one is a little too long and could have been fully explained in a one-sentence synopsis. Uh, they called it a snooze fest, lacking in chills or thrills. All three segments were so deficient of imagination and scare quoting, they wouldn't pass as a satisfactory episode on a TV show like Amazing Stories or The Twilight Zone. These were just fun little stories. They called it a cut-rate sequel from the two popular masters of horror that plays like leftovers and that the fans of both of these men deserve better. They said it looked cheap. They said it was paced terribly. Yeah. So people didn't really care for it. 29% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Really? And, yeah, everybody just says it basically was a failure. I don't think it was a failure. I I mean, it's I like it. I like the first one better, but I still like this one. Oh, I definitely like the first one better. But this one is still fun. Let's see if there's any fun, <coughs> fun trivia. Excuse me. Other than the uh, actor nearly dying of hypothermia. So, Hal Holbrook's son, David Holbrook, appeared in uh, Old Chief uh, Woodenhead. Oh, no shit. And Hal Holbrook was in the crate in the first one. Yeah. Um, so there was a makeup artist named Ed French that he was supposed to be the creep in this. Yeah. And he left the project. So Tom Savini stepped in. He left the film during the filming of the raft because he was, uh, felt like he was snubbed by the director, Michael Gornick. So they turned to, uh, Howard Berger on how to fix the blob monster and say what they made it out of? Uh, no, I don't see that. But Berger and Greg Nicotero finished the effects in this this film. No shit. Yeah. So this is an early K and B. Yeah. Uh, project. Um, Stephen King wrote the outline. Then Romero adapted it into a screenplay. And the raft is based on a short story from Stephen King called The Raft. The other two were original stories. At the beginning of the final segment, The Hitchhiker, several Stephen King novels are visible in the bedroom on the headboard of the bed. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. And then, yeah, like we said, it was some of the... the <coughs> some of the stories from this were used in, in Tales from the Dark Side. Uh, much of the soundtrack was performed by keyboard player Rich or Rick Wakeman from the English prog rock band Yes. Yes! Yes! Um, what else do we have here? Barbara Eden was originally cast as the driver in The Hitchhiker, but she had to drop out of the production due to her mother falling ill. Ooh. Um, what else here? Nicolas Cage was originally considered to be in the role of the creep. Oh my God, he'd have been amazing at that. And Arnold Schwarzenegger 
is rumored to be have be have been considered for the role of Old Chief Woodenhead. Kind of looked like him. Yeah, kind of did. <laughs> but he would have been super expensive. That was a high. That was at his peak career. Yeah. They, uh, they would have blown their whole budget on that. So Stephen King said that the inspiration for the hitchhiker story and the appearance of the hitchhiker. Yeah. The inspiration was the bicyclist that was killed, or the cyclist, so motorcyclist. Yeah. That was killed in uh, on by hitting the semi truck from Faces of Death. Oh no shit. That was his uh, wow. his inspiration. So Creepshow too. I mean, I liked it, man. I mean, it was like fun. I said, it's it's not the first one. It's not like the first one. It's not as good as the first one, I should say. But it's still a good movie. I enjoy it, and like we said, there's a part three. Not even worth a mention. It's not that great. They just borrowed it. They they bought the name. Yeah, they basically just said, "Hey, we're making a sequel. We're going to tag this name on it, and it sucks." Like it's not even worth a mention. But this final one is worth a mention. Although it falls out of what we've established to be our range of years that we're going to talk about. Of our ute. Yeah. This is not from our ute. We were in our 20s or 30s about this time. <laughs> yeah. It, this came out in 2007. The reason that we chose to include it is because it has that same feel. It has that same look. Uh, it, it kind of pays homage to the movies that we grew up with. Yep. And... I saw it in 2007. I thought it was from the 90s, and I missed it. It has that feel. It's, it's that much ingrained. They do not use cell phones in this movie that I can remember. No. They do not have technology cl- uh, clues. Wait, I think they do. Do they? Yeah, the the, uh, the the girls do. The werewolves. Well, see, and I thought it was because... The reason I thought they didn't is because they say, we'll meet up later, and they aren't calling each other. They just meet up later. I thought they were texting each other. I, they might have been. Anyhow, that's trick or treat. Um, this movie really has taken on a life of its own, I feel. Um, and had it been released when it was supposed to be released? When it was supposed to be released? Two years before, so 2005. Oh, shit. It would have been so close to our, our cutoff, because we say if it's 20 years old. Yeah. Um, but it was delayed for two years, and then it had a limited run of, of screenings at film festivals. It never got a theatrical release until... Just recently. Last week. Yeah. Last week is the first time it was shown in films, or in, uh, in theaters. I wanted to go to that. So did I. Uh, it's got a, a cult-like following. It, it Sam is probably one of the most beloved symbols of Halloween. Uh, you know, modern symbols. Yep. I mean, even my daughter loves Sam. Sam is awesome. And, like I said, the reason we were included is, I thought this, when I first saw it, I thought this film was something I missed. Yeah. Honestly. Because it just has that, that feel to well, it. Well, I, I, when I found or borrowed that trick trick or treat too oh yeah they had gene simmons and yep gene simmons break yeah uh, damn it hi i'm gene simmons you're not okay here we go <laughs> and and ozzy i thought that was a sequel to it they they no it came out way before i know yeah that's trick or treat this is trick or just R, an r r yeah. treat 
So the idea of this, this film takes place on Halloween night. And you notice, you don't notice it when you, like a first watch. But all these, all these stories are related. Yeah. They, and not necessarily related, they're all tied together. And Sam appears in every story. Mm-hmm. Even if he's just watching, he appears. But the opening scene is amazing. Uh, in that, they it's a, it's a husband and wife. They come home after a, a Halloween party. The wife hates Halloween. She blows out the jack-o'-lantern before midnight. Uh, as her husband's saying that, you know, superstition, you got to let it burn. They got to let it burn out. Um, she starts taking down the, their decorations on the lawn, and she tells the husband, just go upstairs and get ready. Put on the video. Yeah. So he goes upstairs. He lays down the bed. He puts on a, a, a porn, and apparently gets ready to be having some Halloween sex. And he wakes as up. As one wants. Yeah, as one wants to do. Um, he, he wakes up later and goes looking for his wife because it's hours later and she hasn't come to bed yet. And he finds that she has been murdered and she has, her head has been decapitated and placed as one of the Halloween decorations on the lawn. And her body parts are all over the place. Yeah. The body parts are hanging everywhere. Um, they don't really explain what happened. She's attacked under a sheet. You do not see who attacked her, what attacked her or anything. Then they go into a very comic book like credit series If you notice in the, the sequences, the rules are stated. There are Halloween rules. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the rules are, you know, uh, always give out treats, always wear a costume, respect the dead, don't blow out your pumpkin before midnight. I'm sure there's more that I will forget. I have a t-shirt that has them on it. I can't remember. Um, yeah, you can maybe you can look up Sam's Halloween rules. Uh, so the first story they have is called Principal. And it is an overweight child that's going bully. It's the kid from Bad Grandpa. Bad Santa. Or Bad Santa, yeah. Yeah, Thurman Merman. Um, he is he is smashing pumpkins. And he is stealing candy from an unattended bowl that was left on the porch of his high school principal. And he gets caught. So the principal offers him a candy bar. All right, here we go. Sam's Halloween rules. Okay. Always hand out candy to trick-or-treaters. Always wear a costume. Never blow out your jack-o'-lantern before midnight. Always respect the dead. Always check your candy. Never take down your decorations before November 1st. Never hurt the innocent. There we go. Rules for your Halloween. Follow them. Or you may die. Uh, it's it's going to be Sam doing it, not us. Let's just put out that because I can see somebody going, oh, they threatened me. No. It wasn't me. It's Sam's rules. I was. Oh, it wasn't me. Uh, you, you're throwing me under the bus. I was busy looking at Halloween stuff. <laughs> so. I was reading. The uh, the principal, you know, sits this young boy down to discuss, you know, the importance of respecting the rules and traditions and offers him a candy bar. So the kid's chowing down on this candy bar and then starts to vomit chocolate everywhere. <laughs> And it turns into blood. Yeah. Because it was a fucking, was it a razor blade? Uh, it had cyanide in it. Cy- oh, it was a cyanide. Yeah, he had cyanide in it. Um, and the principal is crazy. Yes. Well, he is, a, and, and that'll tie into a later story. But the principal's trying to hide this murder 
So he's handing out candy to trick-or-treaters, including Sam, who makes an appearance. Yep. Uh, he tries to bury him in the backyard with the body of another victim, but his young son Billy keeps yelling out the window that he wants to go trick-or-treating, that he wants to carve pumpkins, tells him that Charlie Brown is an asshole. Charlie Brown's an asshole. Yeah. Watch a great pumpkin. Charlie Brown's an asshole. Um, which, it's hilarious. Dude, I love that kid. Um, he's so funny in everything he's been in. Oh, yeah. And then uh, the old neighbor next door starts raising hell with him, asking him what he's doing, saying it stinks over there. What's his name? Wilson, the old man? Uh, Mr. Mr. Krieg. But the, the neighbor, the principal's name is Wilson? Uh, his name is Wilkins. Wilkins. Wilkins! Yeah. What the fuck? What the hell are you doing over there? Yeah. He's like, uh... We're burying bodies? He, he, doesn't tell, he tells him, like, his sprinkler's acting up or something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, a septic tank. Septic tank, yeah. It stinks to high hell. Yeah, it's a septic tank. So he ends up, the, the kid is still alive, and so he beats him with a shovel <laughs> to kill him. Then he goes inside. The old man's still at the window, but he starts yelling for help. And, the you know, Wilkins ignores him because he was being a dick. And then he takes his son downstairs to carve a jack-o'-lantern, hiding a knife behind his back. After some hesitation, he appears to stab his son, but it's revealed that the knife was plunged into the bully's severed head, and that's the jack lantern that they're carving. Yep. Next story. The Halloween school bus massacre. Now, we will remember this because it does play into another story. You may not have noticed this, but it does. Oh, I did. I okay. noticed. Uh, so a group of trick-or-treaters are collecting jack-o'-lanterns, and they're actually not stealing them. They're collecting them. They're collecting them. They're asking people for them. When they uh, they meet Rhonda, who is kind of a... She's an awkward girl. She's a nerd. She's like an idiot savant. Yeah, but she's, she's kind of a nerd. Uh, very, very awkward. She's dressed like a witch. So the group... They uh, they visit a quarry, but when they go okay, one of the scenes when they when they go to um, get the jack o' lantern from the Halloween party, they're standing there looking, and they, doesn't he say like, "I just saw my math teacher dressed like a hot dog butt fucking a, <laughs> yeah. a, a, a pig or something." It was all yeah, it was all the teachers having a big orgy party. Yeah, so it was a key or a. A key party. A key party. And he goes, I just, I just saw her math teacher dressed like a hot dog butt fucking like One of the kids was like, she's like, you guys want to come in? The kid's like, yeah. Yeah, she says, you guys want a drink? He's like, yeah. And what's going on here? Like, we have to go. Um, so they go to this quarry, and one of the girls starts telling the urban legend of the Halloween school bus massacre. So in this legend, there are eight uh, mentally disabled children who were killed by a school bus driver on Halloween. And I'm trying to figure out if it was... Because they talk about it. Or, sorry, go ahead. I'll let you finish your story first, and then... Well, they... It's revealed that the parents have grown tired of taking care of them, and they resented them for their disabilities. They were embarrassed of them. They wanted nothing to do with them. So they paid the bus driver to dispose of them. So the bus driver drives them to the quarry. He's going to drive them off. He chains them all to their seats. And he's going to drive them, you know, drive the bus off the quarry. Um, But he was handing out candy to him to keep him calm before he did this. And one of the kids escaped from his chains, 
jumped in, and, he, and that was a kid dressed like Dracula. Yep. And he just kept saying, wrong turn, wrong turn, I want to go home. So he jumps in the bus seat, gets the bus into gear, stomps on the gas, and drives it into the quarry, killing all the children. The driver did escape and survived. So there were eight children, so they leave eight jack-o'-lanterns as a tribute to the deceased. Yep. Then the group gets split up. The one group goes down in the uh, elevator, and that leaves Rhonda and this boy named Chip behind. Well, Rhonda is chased by these, these monsters that came out of the lake, and she's crying and all that. Well, they reveal that it was the other kids that were playing a prank. They disguise themselves as dead children, and she's freaking out. So she gets in that elevator... And they're trying to, to comfort her. She gets in an elevator, and one of the other girls kicks a jack-o'-lantern into the water. Which prompts the actual dead children to emerge from the lake and attack two of the kids. And Rhonda escapes, abandons the others to... Fend for themselves. Fend for themselves, and, and she gets revenge on them for their prank. As she leaves, she sees Sam. And Sam nods to her like in respect for doing what she did because well they yeah because she's the innocent yeah she's the innocent and they preyed on the innocent um so that that's a great story and that's to me i feel like that's one of the main stories in this and what saved her also was that she had all them lit jack-o'-lanterns she had all the jack-o'-lanterns with her yep and they they also extinguished a jack-o'-lantern before midnight so they broke a couple of rules yeah there. Um. So there's there's that story. Now, I feel that's the main story in this whole thing myself. Yeah. Okay. Because everything's attached to that. Yeah, kind of. Um. Then the next one's called Surprise Party. Well, it this, there was a, a bit of this story in the beginning where the girls were trying on Halloween costumes. Yes, they were. And they are dressed like. Uh, Fairy tale characters. Yep. Cinderella, Snow White, Red One Riding Girl's Hood. Red Riding Hood. Um, very revealing outfits. You know, the, the sexy, you know. Yes. The, the, the sexy Halloween costume thing. And they're trying to find, uh, they're trying to find dates for this party. So they hit on, like, there, there's a news story being done. They, like, hit on the sound man and cameraman. They try to get them out there. They have hit on the guy at the costume shop. Uh, they're they're just they're looking for dates for this. They're Halloween collecting. Party. They're they're getting their dates. They're all going to yeah. meet them out there. Yeah, they're all going to meet their dates out there. Um, but the the girl dressed like Red Riding Hood, she misses Halloween, so she wants to stay in the town to enjoy the town. And she's encountered by a hooded man dressed as a vampire, who attacks her. Okay, and we've seen this man. He had killed a girl in the alleyway. He uh, is fought now stalking Little Red Riding Hood. Yep. He's like a big bad wolf. Yeah, yeah. So she, he attacks her, she defeats him, and they unmask him by a bonfire. You know, she brings him along, they unmask him, and they find that he is Stephen Wilkins, the uh, principal of the school. He's the serial killer, and he had gone to look for victims at the street festival. All of a sudden, all these girls take their clothes off, also take their skin off, and they are werewolves, and they feast on all the dates that they have collected. Yeah, all the, yeah, every girl there is still alive, and they're all werewolves. Yeah, they're all werewolves. 
<laughs> um, and the transformation on that's amazing, where their skin rips off and you no, see the hair so coming cool. through. It's very cool. Well, sitting on a log nearby is Sam just kind of checking out what's going on. Mm-hmm. So then we go on to Sam's story. So this takes place at Mr. Krieg's house, the neighbor of Wilkins. And he scares some trick-or-treaters off his doorstep. He, uh, things just keep happening. His house gets egged. Then, it, then he goes outside, and his yard is filled with jack-o'-lanterns. Yeah, and they weren't there before. And they weren't there. And then he goes back in, and the house has Halloween sayings all over, trick-or-treat, smell my feet, all this, all over his house, all spray-painted. And he's ambushed many times. This is all Sam doing this. By Sam. Eventually, he is able to pull Sam's mask off. Sam wears a burlap bag over his head. Yep. And it reveals that he is a hybrid of a skull and a jack-o'-lantern. So... Mr. Krieg shoots Sam several times with a shotgun, and his, his uh, he has pumping guts, seeds and stuff coming out of his wounds. But he can't kill Sam. And Sam injures Mr. Krieg. He has the old man cornered, and instead of killing him, he impales a candy bar in his leg. So that's the tradition of handing out Halloween candy. Then Sam is satisfied. He No, I, I didn't think he impaled the candy bar into his leg. I thought... The guy had it in his pocket. Wilkins had it in his pocket. No, no, this is the candy bar with the razor in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he, he, he gives him the candy. So Sam is like, all right, I'm cool. And he, he leaves. And you can hear the interaction with the neighbor from the other perspective. This yeah. is going on at the same time. And so as he leaves, they show the fireplace. And he, he had been burning photographs in the fireplace and there's a news story there that reveals that Mr. Krieg was the school bus driver yep. from the school bus massacre. That's why I think this that's kind of the most important story in all this, because it ties a couple other stories yep. together. And then at the end, they show Mr. Krieg all bandaged up, had the shit knocked out of him, stabbed in the leg, handing out candy to trick-or-treaters. And he's standing on his front porch. He looks across the street where he witnesses the other characters in the film kind of milling about. Billy's sitting on the porch handing out candy to trick-or-treaters. Rhonda crosses the street pulling a wagon full of jack-o'-lanterns where she's nearly run over by the girl's van that are going to the uh, party. Then he sees a married couple arrive home. He relaxes and he looks over and he sees the wife blow out the jack-o'-lantern and Sam moves in for the kill. Yep. Sam's standing there across the street watching He's watching. And so he retreats into his home. He hears a knock on the door. The last trick-or-treaters are the children from the bus. They greet him before tearing him apart and devouring him as revenge for their murder. Yep. This film, I feel, is the best Halloween-themed film ever made. Now, did you know that uh, there was a short film that was made by the writer and director of Trick or Treat called Season's Greetings. Uh-uh. And it features Sam as a little boy dressed in his orange footy pajamas with a burlap sack over his head who is being stalked by a stranger on Halloween night. He eventually ends up killing his stalker, stalker and putting him in his bag. There are several things in this movie, small things. Now, the crisscrossing of the characters, you don't notice it at first. But it happens. No, and they're all, like, they're all neighbors. They're all in the same town. It's a fictional town. Also, the same universe that Krampus takes place in. Oh no shit! Because um, this Michael Doherty, yeah, 
he's the one that did Krampus as well. And he said they live in the same universe. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but there's little things. Like Sam's going down the steps after he gets trick-or-treat candy and his bag's hitting the steps. There's a cat in his bag. So meow, meow, meow. Oh, shit, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Um, and there's just little bitty nods to other films. There's little bitty nods to this film itself in other parts that don't make sense yeah. until you watch it twice, three times, 20 times like we have. Yeah. Um, it's beautifully done. This is how a horror anthology should be. Mm-hmm. And it's it's all tied together. But it's shot like, I always equate it to like Quentin Tarantino Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Where it's shot way out of order and at the end Everything it all makes good. sense. I love this movie. Now, like I said, this thing did not have a widescreen theatrical release. The first public screening took place at a festival called Harry Knowles Butt Numathon. Butt Numathon. That's a great name. That was in Austin, Texas. And then it did a few other film festivals. Uh, Fangoria hosted a film screening of this. There was another one in uh, in L.A., but it, ne- it it never made it outside of, like, cons or yeah. anything like that. Um, it did get its release this year, just a few weeks ago, which is awesome. And they also have announced a sequel. They are currently actively working on a sequel. It spawned comic books. It spawned Halloween Horror Nights, uh, Scare Zone. Um they have made... I hope the sequel is just as good as your original. Oh, I'm sure. With with the attention it's getting now, I'm sure it will be. I'm sure it'll be amazing. Uh, the merchandise of this thing is crazy. Especially for a movie that never had a, a theatrical release. Uh-huh. The following is amazing. And there are action figures. There are replicas of the lollipop that Sam carried. There are replicas of the candy bar with the, with the razor in it. Uh... Whenever, whenever uh, Quinn Lord, the, uh, the the young man that played Sam, does a signing, uh, autograph signing, it's crazy. Uh, and he was just a little kid when he did that, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Um, I have more on that in just a moment because he's in this movie twice. Um, there was a comic book. There were uh, uh, well, several comic books that were made, and a graphic novel. I mean, people love this film. Rotten Tomatoes, it has an 84% rating. That's pretty good for a horror That's movie. That's amazing, especially for Rotten Tomatoes. Dead Central gave it 5 out of 5 stars. Um, they said Trick or Treat ranks alongside John Carpenter's Halloween as traditional Halloween viewing, and I can't believe uh, that there isn't a single horror fan that won't fall head over heels in love with it. Yeah. It got 10 out of 10 from uh, Ryan Rotten of ShockTillYouDrop.com. Really? Everybody loves this. Bloody Disgusting said it's uh, number nine in their top 20 horror films of the decade. And they said it's so good that its lack of theatrical release borders on criminal. So, yeah, people love this. And it's won Audience Choice Awards from different places. And they have announced it's got a it's got a sequel. And, and I have seen that it is being actively pursued. I, heard, I thought they were actually working on it right now. They, yeah, they're working on it as we speak. Um so, it, there are a few names in this, but I don't know how big of a name they were when they made this. Anna Paquin being the, the biggest name, I feel. She was probably the biggest name, because I think she was still, she was doing, uh, 
What was that vampire show? Um, True Blood. True Blood. She was doing True Blood. I think that was after. I believe that True Blood, it, they, it may have been just in the beginning of True Blood. I think that's, yeah, I think, because that show ran for several years. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was in the very beginning. Um, Leslie Bibb is a name that, she was a name around that time. Yeah. Um, but other than that, not really I mean, the uh, old man over the top here. Oh, Brian Cox? Brian Cox. He's been a ton of, he was in the ring. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But Quinn Lord, this was his his big role. And then Dylan. Uh, Dylan Baker. Baker? Yeah, he's been in a bunch of stuff, too. Yeah. And he played uh, Stephen, yeah, the, the principal. principal. Let's find some trivia for this, because I, I, there has to be some trivia. So, this is the biggest piece of trivia that a lot of people don't know. So, in the beginning, where the girls are trying on their costumes, yep. and there's a little boy that's peeking through the dressing room door trying to catch them naked. He has a lollipop in his mouth. Yeah. That's Quinn Lord, who plays Sam. Oh, no shit. Yes. Um, so, he that's his second... Oh, my God, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, most of the jack-o'-lanterns are either foam or ceramic, and there was a joke on set that no pumpkins were harmed during the making of this movie. That's funny. And, like we've said, the characters often crisscross in other stories, but you don't notice it because you either haven't seen the story, yep. or you're paying attention to that story, and it happens, and you're like, was that so-and-so from the last... Well, he died. Yeah. You know, so that you don't realize that it's out of order. Um, if you're not paying attention. If you're not paying attention. But, like I said, if you watch it multiple times, you do pick up on things like that. Uh, they said that there were 18 drafts of this script, and the one that kept coming into, you know, that, that actually made it, is that each story represents a different stage of a person's experience with Halloween. So the first story is about how you're introduced to the holiday with them carving pumpkins and going trick-or-treating. Yep. The second one is, as you get a little older, you go out with your friends and you know, you're know you without your parents for the first time, and that's when they go to the quarry. The next one is when you're in your 20s and the holiday's about partying and sex. And the final one is about when you're older, you know, an, an older adult, maybe getting into being elderly. Yeah. And you it becomes that fucking kid's stage of your life. You know, stay off my lawn. That's about being the Scrooge of Halloween. Get off my lawn. So, I mean, it does make sense when you look at it that way. It's the stages of Halloween. Yeah. And Sam represents the spirit of Halloween. Because uh, he's technically Sam Hain. Yeah. Yeah, that's that, that's like his his character. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So... The kids on the school bus that were under the mask portraying the uh, the mentally uh, disabled kids, yeah. they actually were mentally disabled kids. They had a they, they either had a, like a head injury or some form of of uh, you know mental disability. Yeah, and they said that they had a blast while they were shooting this. Oh, nice! And their Costumes were inspired by some photographs that captured real mental, mentally disabled children in homemade Halloween costumes. I thought their costumes were cool as hell. Yeah, so did I. I like them old, old costumes. <laughs> Especially like one that just had the bag on her head yeah. with the face draw. I, I mean, I love those those costumes. Uh, Anna Paquin's character, Lori, is named after Lori Strode from Halloween. Oh, no shit. Yeah. 
uh, in the school bus massacre revisited. They said that there was a 1958 Plymouth Fury in the scene. So that's a nod to the the movie and the novel yep. of Christine. Uh, I do remember seeing that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just seen like in the, in the background. Um, they wanted to release this in October of 2007, but they pulled the film from the scheduling. They think it was because Soft <coughs> 4 came out at the same time and they didn't want to compete. Oh. Because that's a bigger film. And then they were kind of disappointed by the movie Superman Returns. And Michael Doherty was uh, the co-writer on that film. Oh, yeah. So they kind of they pulled it back and like, yeah, we just had a flop. We were disappointed by something you wrote. We're not putting this one out. Which Dude, he did a couple right flop on. movies. Yeah. Because that was it, Michael Doherty. I think he does, he did Superman Returns. And I think he did a couple other DC movies that didn't do very well. So I, I misspoke earlier. I said that this film was supposed to be put out in 2005. It was supposed to be put out in 2007. Never made it to DVD until 2009. Holy shit. Yeah, so the two years that it was delayed was from 2007 to 2009. Uh, They couldn't use any recognizable candy wrappers because all the candy in the film was either poisoned or filled with razor blades. So they had to make their own up, which they said was fun because they came up with with, uh, candy called Big Fudge Log. Big fudge log. I think the candy bar with the razor in it is called like Happy O or Heidi O. You dropped a big fudge log when your belly was hurting. No, I dropped a lot of fudge soup. <laughs> oh, gross. Yeah, it was like a, it was like a faucet turning on. It was oh my god, it's so bad. It was horrible. So they, there were many uh, titles of this movie. The original title was Seasons Greetings, which was the name of the short film. Yep. They changed it because it sounded like a Christmas film. Actually, that's what I think is. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Uh, then they they want to call it Halloween Terrors, Jack O' Lantern Tales, October the thirty first, and Trick or Treat. But Trick or Treat was already taken. That was already taken. But you could still there's they can't copyright names. No, but they wanted they wanted it to be something different yeah. than that, so they just dropped the O on or and they called it Trick or Treat, Trick or Treat. Uh, so the name of the Character Sam is derived from what some people call Sam Hain. It's uh, Samhain, the ancient, Ke- uh, ancient Celtic festival of well, the if dead. You, if you're going to pronounce it like a Celt, yeah. Well, yeah. Dude, I got a Celtic tattoo on my arm. I have to. I should have one. I have actually a couple of Celtic tattoos. Uh, I, I, you know what? I technically do. Yeah, that tribal is Celtic. All my, all my tribal's Celtic. Yeah. And then we found out I'm Scottish, so. Yeah. <laughs> so and, and it all we, worked out. As we know, if it's not Scottish, it's crap. It's crap. I... Uh, so they, they, uh, they, that's where they took the, the name. And the idea is, you know, you're supposed to respect the dead and all that. So that's what they identified Sam as. Gotcha. That spirit. Um, and it worked out. Yeah. They have a fucking fantastic franchise of a movie. It doesn't even have to have a sequel. And it's still a fucking great franchise just with everything that's come from it. Oh yeah, and just the, the the ability to have such a great following with z- zero support. Yeah, you know it, it did it on its own, and that's awesome. I would love to get if they did a Kickstarter for this. I would love to get on that. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I got burned on a movie already for Kickstarter, so... <laughs> yeah, I know. I. So, there is a movie reference in here. So, Mr. Creek, the old man. Yeah. When he sees the part of Sam, all he sees is a hand operating independently from its body. Yep. He looks and he says, you got to be fucking kidding me. That is a tribute to a similar scene in John Carpenter's The Thing. Oh, yeah. Um, they actually filmed this during, uh, or, or at least in conjunction with the Parade of Lost Souls, which is in Vancouver. Yep. They do a big Halloween street festival, and they got those members to come be extras in this film. Oh, that's fucking cool. Uh, and they said that, you know, this film is just very charming yet creepy. Yeah. Um, let me see if there's anything else we need to talk about here, because I love this movie. I could talk about this movie forever. I'm going to have to watch it again tonight. No, I, I watched, I've already watched it twice this year. So have I. Um, there's a gumball rolling down the stairs. It is a nod to the 1980 film The Changeling. Oh, no shit. Which is another horror film that was shot in Vancouver. And the cameraman had worked on this that scene in The Changeling. The, the cameraman that worked on this film. Yeah. So they put that in there in tribute and, and kind of to nice. honor his... his God, uh, I haven't seen that crossover. That's a great one, too. Um, That's about a, like a wolf, too, isn't it? Uh, it's supernatural, if I remember right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a supernatural thing. Um... There is a black and white educational film that opens that discusses the rules. That's that's right. Uh, and originally they wanted the rock quarry to be a pumpkin patch that the kids were killed in, but it didn't make they couldn't make it work. Yeah. So they made it a rock quarry. Um. There's a gentleman named C. Ernst Hath. He has a cameo in this film as Laurie's blind date at the party. Yep. And he's dressed like a giant baby, right? He's the same actor that played the great child in a movie that your brother was in, 13 Ghosts. No shit. Yeah, the same actor. Wow. So, uh, that's If you guys don't know, my brother is um, Matthew Lillard. Yeah. But he goes by a different name. That's just a stage name. And we're going to get it. Fuck you guys. Oh, I know. He's going to probably hear this and he's yeah. gonna give me shit. His brother hates that we call him Matthew Lillard. I did that to him the other day and he got pissed. I saw that on Facebook. <laughs> it was funnier than shit. Uh, the opening credit uh, consists of artwork and childhood photos. Some of them are the actual cast and crew's artwork and no childhood shit. photos. Yeah. And they said if you pause the exact end of the title montage, you see Sam's real face. Really? That's what they say. Without the mask on? or Yeah, and I bet that it's uh, that's when he's peeking through. That's when I bet that's when Quinn Lord's peeking through. Oh yeah, that's how the movie opens. Every death in this movie occurs off camera. Yeah, they're either obscured by something or the camera cuts away right before the character dies. And that's how they did it in the old days. And they said it's a rare feat for a horror film to yep. to not show any death, which is kind of cool. They said that uh, Anna Pack when she gets frightened in this movie, around fifty minutes in, they said that the 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 reaction is very genuine because. The director literally screamed unexpectedly to frighten her. And she didn't appreciate it at first, but then she came around and appreciated how authentic it made her performance. Oh, shit. Nice. The original werewolf orgy in the forest 
was backed by the song Fever by Peggy Lee. And they said they also had that playing during the filming. But uh, they suggested it should have something with a little more edge and aggression. So they changed it to Marilyn Manson's Sweet Dreams. Oh. Yeah. And this movie won uh, a fright meter for Best Director. It's an award for nice. 2009. Um, and then, yeah, they say they're talking about uh, how the werewolf transformation w- around the campfire was in homage of the howling. Yep. Um, so, th- you know, there's a lot of callbacks to different movies. Uh, there was a scene where, the in the beginning, where the, the lady's blowing out the pumpkins to take down the decorations. Yeah. And she's looking across the street, and there's a man with a white mask on and overalls just standing there staring at her. An obvious homage to the original Halloween. Yep. But then a car pulls up, pick him up, he takes the mask off, he wasn't actually staring at her, just hanging out waiting. Uh, everything about this is just, is just beautiful. Um, you know, I I enjoy, like I, I could talk about this all the time. Um, school bus stories in homage to the great pumpkin Charlie Brown uh, I mean there's so many things in here the that, school bus stories of homage to the great pumpkin yeah with with uh, it, it was originally it was going to take place in a cemetery that was overgrown with pumpkins oh okay but they changed it to go to the rock quarry where they actually died shot in 40 days that's amazing wow um, that's yeah that's awesome so they uh Let's see, what do we have here? Oh, the candy bar that Sam uses to attack the old man is the same candy bar that he got from the principal earlier in the movie. The principal had put razor blades in the chocolate bars that he handed out. Holy shit. Um, Brian Cox, Mr. Krieg, wore prosthetics because he wanted to look like John Carpenter. So he resembles John Carpenter in this movie. Um... During the newscast at the Halloween parade, the reporter remarks, Werewolves, zombies, and demons of every variety have descended on the normally sleepy town of Warren Valley, Ohio. It's foreshadowing because the creatures that are revealed over the course of the film are werewolves looking for victims, the zombies of the rock quarry, and Sam looking for candy and to see that the rules of Halloween are followed. He's a demon. That's amazing. That's cool. Um... At the campfire, right before the girls turn into werewolves, yeah. they see a hot dog costume implying that the coach, who was seen at the party but fucking a pig, yeah. was a victim of the werewolves. Oh, shit. And, yeah, I mean, just... We could talk about this movie forever. Forever and ever. There are eight locks on the door of the of Mr. Creed's house. One lock for each kid on the school bus. Oh, fuck. So... They, they cut the Achilles tendon on Mr. Creek. Yep. A tribute to Pet Cemetery. Oh, yep, yep. I, I, caught, I actually did catch that one. Yeah, so did I. So, I mean, there's so much in this that is just amazing. I, I, I love this movie. And so much can be said about it. If you haven't seen it, see it. If you can see it in the theater, see it in the theater. Well, you're going to listen to this Friday before Halloween. Yes. Watch it on Halloween. Yeah. It's a... I I go on record as saying I believe this is the best Halloween theme movie ever made. I still gotta get I still gotta go get uh, some, a couple pumpkins. Yeah, you need pumpkins. 
I need some pumpkins. See, I don't put pumpkins out because I live out in the country. Nobody sees them. But uh, I will be haunting on Halloween. So I will be observing some Halloween rules, Halloween rules you know. By, I, of course, you know, I do kind of prey on the innocent because I scare people that are already scared. But they're they're paying money to be scared. Yeah. So I am giving them a service that they are purchasing. And you're just a dick. I really am. In my clown character, yeah. I really am a dick. So anything else you want to say about any of these movies that we no. talked about? There, I mean, all of them, great movies, great anthology movies. And it's a good way to get, if, if you get bored with watching a movie for an hour and a half, this is a great way to watch four movies, four movies, four short movies or five short movies, which short movies are kind of the way that independent film yeah. directors are going these days because they're cheaper to make. And I think that the attention span of today's young people, because of, you know, like YouTube videos and TikToks yeah. and all that, I think that their attention span is greatly, you know, reduced so by making a short movie, you're reaching a bigger audience because it can be streamed on YouTube. That's where it's going to be seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be it can be put on these various uh, platforms that kids are watching things on these days. And go back and watch some old anthology movies. It's like watching four or five short films, kind of all packaged together in a nice little story. Yeah. So anything else you want to talk about? No, I think we covered quite a bit of stuff. I mean, we started. How long have we been going? Uh, we, we probably, probably about three and a half hours. Yeah. So, and we'll, we'll get a couple good hours, uh, but probably about three hours of, of good footage. Uh, and yeah. And I have to get out here cause I have to go do, uh, you gotta go to I gotta work. go work on a movie. And so might be fucking raining here in a bit. Well, we're going to be inside, so that'd be fine. But, uh, all right. Well, if there's nothing else and we'll just say, uh, for the retro renegades, pop culture power. I'm Mikey. I'm Corey. And we'll see you next time. Say goodbye, Corey. Goodbye, Corey. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. (laughs) Charlie Brown's an asshole.